thrill me. Black as midnight on a moonless night. Bitches leave. Groovy. Fucking hold up, hold up. Well, they in there, motherfucker. It's got a death curse. Let's fuck. I'll fuck anything that moves. <laughs> Let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. Forever deep, bitch. <laughs> Oh, damn enchiladas. These guys are laughing. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting, mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you another episode of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. It's December, and with Christmas just around the corner, it's only natural to have the spirit of giving and forefront on your mind. However, as much as we hope that you you're going to love the episode out there in the Red Army that we're about to bring to you. We're going to be a little selfish and gift ourselves something we've been wanting to do for quite some time. A retrospective for one of our all-time favorite cult television series from across the pond, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. It's going to be a blast dissecting all six super strange episodes. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Hello everyone, good evening and welcome to Yuki and John's Patreon Buffet short form trailer. We're here to tell you as fast as we can in under two minutes what we're doing. What are we doing, Yuki? What are we doing? Yeah. Yuki, we only have a minute and a half left. Okay, Okay, so this is what we're doing. We started a Patreon. It's me and Yuki Nakamura. Uh, We're from The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. We work on that show. We're joining forces, me and Yuki. And we're going to do all sorts of stuff. We have uh, Yuki celebrity stories. Yuki has met over 50 celebrities, right? Yes. Who's the weirdest celebrity you ever met? Weird. Gary Gary Busey? Gary Busey. See, so he was weird. weird. So China was weird. And China, the wrestler, was weird. So if you want to know why those people are weird... You gotta come and tune in to Yuki and John's Patreon Buffet. Because already we have so many shows. We have Yuki Celebrity Stories. We've got The Universe and Human Stupidity, where Yuki and I study the universe yes. from the standpoint of human stupidity. Because, you know, we're not that smart, but we're not that stupid. We're in the middle. We're like mediocre. Well, no you know. human being. Then we have a video series, Are Yuki Hungry Tonight?, which is a cooking show. I'm always hungry, so yeah. Then we also have Yuki Reacts. We show him videos from the uh, internet. Yeah, I also put Yuki in a coffin and I interviewed him about life and death. I we we doing so many things on this buffet. Yuki and John's Patreon buffet. John and Yuki. Oh, John and Yuki. This is the trailer. And uh, hey guys, please help because uh, we're starving. Yes. Yuki and John's Patreon buffet. Strange does not begin to describe the property we're going to be discussing tonight. Case in point, if you took the surreal nature of a David Lynch film, you threw it into a blender with a dash of Monty Python-esque sketch comedy, a dollop of meta-humor, a la Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job, and copious amounts of mind-altering hallucinogenics, you might just get the series we're going to be discussing tonight, that being the BBC4 cult classic Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and our format for this episode is going to be a little different. Myself and Fat Tony, who's going to be joining us a little later on in the episode, we're going to be reviewing all six entries in this series. But first, let's take a trip back to the early 2000s, 
we've got to figure out how this unholy monstrosity of a series came to be in the first place. So let's go from page to screen. Now, before Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, there was a stage show called Garth Marenghi's Fright Night. That's night with a K. This low-budget horror parody was a spoof of horror writer Stephen King, and it gave birth to one of the greatest screen characters of all time, Garth Marenghi. The show was performed at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in the year 2000, where it would be nominated for a Perrier Award, or as it's known today, the Edinburgh Comedy Award. Now, that probably doesn't mean a lot to the listeners here in America, but it's a big deal. The Edinburgh Comedy Award is the most prestigious comedy award in basically the entire United Kingdom. So, the following year, they would take a nomination and would double it up with a win, where the sequel, Garth Marenghi's Netherhead, would take home the prize. That win led to the creative forces behind Garth Marenghi, that being Matt Holness and Richard Iowade, to being signed to Avalon Entertainment Limited, which is the UK's largest independent television production company. And with the backing of Avalon, it was just a matter of time before the creative minds would bring Dark Place to the small screen of the BBC. Speaking of small screens, uh, we've tap-danced around the series enough. Let's get into the nitty-gritty but to do that, I'm going to need my hetero life mate and the boozer weight champion of podcasting. Oh, Fat Tony! Right. So glad to have you back here in the Black Lodge to talk about another strange place, a place that's dark, thus dark place. But first, we got to break down our principal cast. Uh, first up, we have Matt Holness playing the dual roles of Garth Marenghi and Dr. Rick Daglas. I love that last name. Daglas. Daglas. Now, we're going to talk about the meta-use of roles in the narrative as and in the, you know, yeah. the, the dual nature, like a character playing a character. Show I love it. And show. this show is, exemplifies it wonderfully. Well, we're going to talk about that a little later oh, on okay. uh, when we get into the like specific episodes. Um, but let's just talk about the things that... Matt Holness has done and what he's known for. He's had a very successful career in the UK, not super well known in America. It's a shame. Um, it, it is a shame. Um, he did have something of note, uh, that was semi popular in America. He, he was uh, in a few episodes of Netflix's The Haunting of Bly Manor, which, uh. That's the one I never watched one episode of. Well, the, the first episode was Mike Flanagan, and I'm like, oh, super into this because I love Mike Flanagan's work. And he didn't do any of the other episodes. Sorry, but wasn't he in creative control? He with produced. The he produced it, but it was he was not stewarding well, the entire project. Maybe that's why I didn't even watch it. Well, I liked House on Haunted Hill and the new one, Fall House of Usher. Great. I, have, I haven't seen it, but I will get around to it eventually. Uh, fuck you, Netflix, for preventing us from not sharing accounts yeah, anymore. Sorry, so bud. I have to spend money if I want to see. Uh, I'll, I'll watch it when uh, Stranger Things finally yeah. comes out. Uh, one of the things he's best known for, and I'm a huge fan of The Office, and I'm a, probably even a bigger fan of the UK version of The Office. He's a short-lived character, but he's a very important character. He plays Simon. He's the IT guy on the British version of The Office. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes, and I got so 
it took me for the basically the office was over before I ever started. Well, I remember you coming to Morristown like, yeah, I'm gonna be at my parents' house the last episode of the office. I'll swing by after or something. And then like when it became on came on streaming services. You know, that's when I started watching it and, like, loving it. And then I watched a couple episodes of the UK. And I was like, that's yeah, fine. I'm giving it a chance, man. It, the the cringe quality of it is so through the roof. And there are things that happen in that show that I think are funnier than anything that's in the American version of The Office. False. Because <laughs> it doesn't have to watch true. Yes, but it has his British counterpart. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, Matt would reteam with Matt Berry on the excellent Toast of London. Oh, yes, that's a great one. I love Toast of London. Uh, I love Matt Berry. We're going to talk about yes, him a little later definitely. on. And he also reteamed with Richard Iowade on the Dark Place spinoff, Man to Man with Dean Lerner, which might be even funnier than this show. He burnt me a disc like way back in the day that had those episodes on it. And he's talking to... Uh, Garth Marenghi about his new book, Bitch Killer 4 or something no, 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 like that. No, 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 no. B- uh, Bitch Killer, uh, that's, that's the, that's the final <laughs> episode because uh-huh. one of, uh, Dean Lerner's, um, his, like, one of the people he represented yeah. was this actor who, it's played, it's yeah. Matt Holden is playing the yeah, character. He plays, doesn't he play all the guests? He does, he yes. plays all the guests. And, um, but he, his, uh, Claim to fame was a, was a movie called Bitch Killer. And it's yeah. the fuck, the, the fake trailer is so fucking funny. But, uh, in more recent years, Matt has been behind the camera with projects like the horror film Possum. Have you seen no, Possum? I've heard of it though. Possum, it's on Shudder. It is. He directed that? He did. It is so fucking weird. It's really unsettling. It has kind of a. David Lynch is not right the right word. You know, and if you're watching Eraserhead and you have those, like, sort of those quiet moments yeah. where it is just, like, the horror is just, like, the the starkness of the, the way the, 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 the shot, scene is the shot. The background sounds, yeah, the, the, the hum. Yeah, the ambient noise. <clears throat> That's kind of what the tonally possum is. Um, I want to check that out. Um, possum is about a ventriloquist. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but I wouldn't say that it is a great movie, but it has enough qualities to about it. I think you'll appreciate the filmmaking and the the, the idea is just very unique. I, I really, really liked it. Matt's a very talented guy, but his greatest contribution to the pop culture world is going to be the couple of characters he plays in this. Oh, yeah. So, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the character description for Garth Meringi, Meringue. Meringue yeah. slash um, Dr. Rick Daglas. I'd be happy to. Um, Matthew Holmes is Garth Meringue, author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor, who plays Dr. Rick Daglas, MD. Dag is a Vietnam and Falkland War veteran and former warlock. He keeps a magnum <laughs> revolver on him at all times, except after he's used it, he's like, take this. I hate using these things. He's he's <laughs> he's very conscientious about um, violence, even though uh, it follows him, you know, constantly. All right, next up on our list, we have Richard Iowade as Dean Lerner and Hospital Administrator Thornton Reed. I love Richard Iowade. I'm such a fan of him. Um, and before that, I was really aware of the things that he's known for. 
Um, he's in a movie that I really, really like uh, called The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Oh, yeah, that's a, smaller, a great movie. Smaller role, but uh, I love Peter Sellers, and you know, Jeffrey Rush does this really, really great interpretation of you know, the, the ups and downs of his career. But, you know, Richard's got a smaller role, but it's one that really yeah. sticks out. So give that movie a watch. Um, contemporarily, in American terms, you probably know him as Jamarcus in The Watch, which was called... Uh, Community Watch or Neighborhood Watch, neighborhood watch and they and they yeah. forced them to change the title, and it got delayed. And that movie's okay. I, it, it, it surprised me how like for some reason I thought it was PG when I when I started it. But that movie's all about orgies yeah, and gore, and he plays a great role. I'm like, hey, it's it's Dean Lerner. That's exactly what I thought when I saw the thing. Yeah, he, Although I do like his character from the IT crowd. Oh well, that, to me that is that's the number one that's right a there. Num- that's one of the shows that was on that one of those several burnt discs you gave me back in the day. And yes, had he, the IT crowd. Maurice Moss, the stereotypical IT nerd. Uh, yes, you know, loves basically like if you were to you know fill in the blanks of like the qualities a nerd has. Maurice Moss has all of them. It's a better Sheldon. I, I literally have this written down. <laughs> um that the Big Bang Theory is a series for people who are not smart enough to enjoy the IT crowd. Exactly, okay, fair enough. I'm not a Big Bang Theory, and I, so often I'm telling people, like, no, that that is, like, that's fake nerd culture. That's nerd blackface. It it is nerd blackface, well... I've heard that description used before. Oh well, it, I'm I'm going to attribute it to you from now on. Yes, uh, it'll be like uh, to, to go back to the office where you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, and then the attribution under yes. it is uh, Michael Scott. So it'll be uh, Big Bang Theory is uh, for nerd, nerd blackface. Nerd blackface um, unknown. And Fat Tony. <laughs> um. I don't know if you are aware of this, um, and I'll go back to um, The Watch, but he's in that movie with Ben Stiller, who was in a movie called Meet the Parents with Robert De Niro, who was in Mad Dog and Glory with Bill Murray, who was in (laughs) Ghostbusters, so you just got busted. Um, When I was doing my fan cast for the, the Eternally in Limbo Ghostbusters 3, the... It's gone. It's not in limbo I know, anymore. I know it ascended. It, it happened. It happened, but you know, not in the way that like the no. The, it's dead. They made another one. Ghostbusters three is dead and in heaven now. The the version of the movie yes. that like I would have made, I would have had him on my team. Oh yeah, and I think he could have brought because he could play deadpan really really well, and I think he could have been sort of the surrogate Egon character that yes. is sort of on the on the line of like the funniest things in the movie. Egon says are played so straight, oh, yeah. and I think he could have brought those things to it. But I had to get that a little, you know, connection right there. We because had to get busted in every episode. Get, you got to bust, you got to get busted. Busting makes me feel good. It, indeed. Um, Moss, the Maurice Moss uh, character from the IT crowd, I, I absolutely love it. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. I, like, I, I do not like sitcoms generally, and there are, you know, exceptions and I love British comedy, and I think this is like the perfect balance of that kind of stuff oh, of yeah. like, you know, your traditional, you know, workplace comedy, but it's subversive enough to where like you, you find the nuance in it, and he's just the perfect actor to bring that. However, I think to a certain class of people, as great as he is, is Maurice, uh, Maurice Moss, I think 
this dual role as Thornton Reed and um as uh Dean Lerner just the the levels of it might be uh, ahead above it. It's easily his, but it, it shows his acting chops a lot worse. It's really hard to act like a bad actor and then act like a, a character who just seems like a real case. Shows his acting chops. It's fucking amazing. I I absolutely agree with that. So Tony, if you would read the character description for Richard Iowade as Dean Lerner slash Thornton Reed. Richard Iowade as Dean Lerner, Garth's publisher who plays Thornton Reed. Reed, a hospital administrator who bears a trademark shotgun and answers to unseen hospital boss Wonton. Uh, Lerner's acting is especially bad even by standards in the series, which is remarked upon in some of the in-character cast interviews. The character Reed was in the Korean War and when she lost a testicle and a knee and became a POW. I forgot about that. All this stuff... Those those lines, like the, the, the character description, the, there's so many little throwaway details in these in these episodes, and they add so much flourishment to like the characters that yeah. don't they don't like necessarily play into any of the the what stories there are yeah. in these in these shows, but having like these little nuances, I don't know, they they make the characters feel a little more dynamic, and um, if nothing else, it's just a good funny throwaway oh, yeah, line. Fucking hilarious. Next up, a guy that is exploded yes. in in fucking popularity, and I am proud to say that I I knew him before. Yeah, we, have, we knew him. He was cool before he was cool. Matt Berry as Todd Rivers slash Doctor Lucian Sanchez. Um, I knew him from the IT crowd. He plays. This the, is the first show that like put me onto Matt Berry as a comedic god. And he, I love his song. He's so. Oh, what? <laughs> we'll get, we'll, to, that, we'll get yes. to that in episode six. Um. He, he plays De- Douglas Renum, who is the son of Denim Renum, who is the, the head of uh, Renum Industries on the IT crowd. I, I, this character may be my favorite television character of all time because he, he takes every negative thing you could have about a human being, you know, sexist, racist, bigoted, like, and he, he makes it so funny and you almost want to forgive him for those horrible actions. He also has that character as one of my favorite comedic subversions of all time is when the guy's getting the massage and the guy just smooches his butt and the chick thinks it's so hilarious that he just is like, this is not funny. Why, how can you possibly think something like this? Like, that was such a subversion. I was in fucking tears. Oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, six episodes of one of my all-time favorite sketch shows made in the UK called oh, Snuffbox. Again, you burnt it for me. It's fucking great. I love how he always helping the women and their boyfriends. Like, oh, fuck you. And he kicks a dog, throws a... <laughs> Smashes a, the... Uh, the goldfish tank yeah. or whatever. Um... One of my one of my good friends, shout out to um, to Matt Scott. Uh, when I introduced him to this show, we worked together at a um, at a haunted house, and there's there's a line of dialogue in Snuffbox where like anytime someone is about to go through a door, they'd always shout out, "Not that door!" <laughs> and for years, that was like anytime we would get to go to the ba- head to the bathroom or go someplace, it did not matter where we were or the circumstance. Not that door. And <laughs> so the, those little things just like stick with you. Good shit. Um, he was Dixon Bainbridge in the first season of The Mighty Boosh, is another show I yes. really, really love from the UK. Uh, Stephen <clears throat> Toast in the series Toast of London and its spinoff Toast of Tinseltown. 
the character of Stephen Toast is a wonderfully, it's almost a geek, uh, Greek tragedy kind of character. I haven't I, seen I, Toast at Tinseltown. I didn't know that existed. Oh my god. It's free on, on the internet. Oh, Watch no, it. I'm gonna have to, yeah, I'm gonna have to get on that. I've Go. seen Toast of London. Oh, he, he. I've even got the audio book of the fake biography, Toast on Toast. It's hilarious. He may, he has his, uh, his uh, and the the antithesis to his character is this character named Ray Purchase, you know, and they have a good you know budding uh, rivalry, but they they put the rivalry to bed, or Stephen Toast tries to put the rivalry to bed by admitting that he's been sleeping with his wife for years, and they have a good you know rousing brawl. It's good good stuff. But most recently, Matt Berry has exploded in popularity in the television adaptation of one of the best mockumentaries of all time, What We Do in the Shadows. He plays Laszlo. So, and Jackie Daytona, and, normal human bartender. Exactly. I think that was the moment that we're like... That he, he blew into a meme and... He became pop culture as opposed to just a part of it. Yes. You know, he's, he, he will forever be known as a guy in a meme. Yes. Which I think, I mean, if you want I mean, Im- immortality, like that's a way to go about it. Um... What we do in the shadows has been fantastic from like beginning Solid. to end, and I'm going to be uh, honest right now. I didn't watch it I, when it first came out I because because I loved the original movie so much, and even though I loved Matt Berry, I'm like I just don't know that they can do this on an ongoing basis. And because of Fat Tony, at his the one best, time he listened to me, I was like, okay. I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot. We watched a few episodes and I binged watched the first season in one sitting. It was that good, and now everybody loves it. It's like what four or five seasons now, and there's not been a bad episode of the show yet. I, and even the episodes that maybe are less good are still better are still than good, most yeah. most episodes of any I'm other. I'm sorry, show. it's better than the movie. I mean, it's created and produced by the guys who made the movie. <sighs> That's I'm, hard. It's hard for me to say because is there. Because they even top the lines were wearables, not swearables. And yeah. that was my, one of my favorite lines from the movie. I'm sorry, just having creati- creativity, characters, everything across the board. It, it's the superior it's, product. It's the, it's the perfect distillation of that idea done differently. Yes. So. I mean, hell, the characters from that movie are in the show. That they, 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 that they are. That they are. Um, yeah, I, I, I love them both. So it would be hard for me to, it's like choosing. I don't be- not love the movie. It's the like movie. choosing between children. It's like, how do you do that? Easily. I love them. I love them both. Okay. Well, fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all know that parents have favorites. And, and you're a parent. So yeah, you, you so have that I have right. Favorites. You make them fight in the yard yeah, for, well, for the honor of the of daddy's bottle. love. <laughs> and that was for food. Um, because of how successful what we do in the shadows has become, is it kind of satisfying in, and dare I say, somewhat of a hipster kind of way to know that we love Matt Berry before he it became I hate his successful? Shit, but yes, yes. I'm like, it didn't take this show for me to know Matt Berry as a comedic genius. It just proved me right. Yeah, I I was singing his praises to people. I remember in I think it's the third season of the Sarah Silverman program. Both he and Rich Fulcher, okay, yeah. they both have roles. And I remember like messaging people, like, "Did you see it? He was there's Matt Berry from the IT crowd." And they're like, I don't give a shit. Like, you're wrong. You're you people wrong are wrong. Stupid. You're wrong. Oh man. Um. Matt has also been uh, fairly successful as a musician. That's a weird thing, too. He really has. He's done. He did the theme song to uh, Snuffbox, which is like a weird disco funk kind of thing. I love it. Um, He has an album called Witch Hazel, which is kind of like 
Ren Faire music. It, it's it's like not my cup of tea, but the man's got talent. I I actually really like it. It's stuff I put on. Like if I'm doing notes for the podcast, yeah, I put it in the background because it's not going to like distract dis- distract you. me. I can't put like Slayer on and do notes. It's just like I no. want a headbang and I knock the monitor I, off my. I desk. have embarrassing music like that that I will not say on the podcast. Um, that I do that too because it, it occupies my brain to a point where I can focus on my task. It's C is unsta- unbreakable, unstoppable, okay? I put on C is un- unstoppable. She supports it with no breaks, and I can just work. Fair so. enough. I, <laughs> I don't know who that is, so I can't judge one way or the other. You will when you hear it. All right, fair, fair enough. All right, we're not here to talk about Matt Berry, the musician. We're here to talk about Matt Berry, the actor. So, Fat Tony, if you could read the character description for Todd Rivers slash Lucian Sanchez. All right, good buddy. Matt Berry is Todd Rivers, an actor who plays Lucian Sanchez. Improbably handsome with the disconcerting habit of losing lip sync, impossibly coiffed hair, and a voice an octave higher, uh, an octave lower than it should be. He generally uses an automatic pistol with a backup and leg holster in case his original turns on him. We'll get to that. Episode two. Yes. <laughs> he serves with Dag in, he served with Dag in Vietnam. Most of Todd Rivers' lines are looped in with Matt Berry seemingly providing the most off-sync and over-the-top lip readings possible. Last, but certainly least. <laughs> certainly, as de- by design, because <laughs> it's a play of misogyny. They, they've pretty much um, written this character as poorly on purpose yes, as possible. And, and, and to great comedic effect, we have Alice Lowe as Madeline Wool slash Dr. Liz Asher. Um, you might know her in mean, several roles, uh, Mighty Boosh, IT Crowd, Hot Fuzz, World's End. I mean, you know, little yes. little roles just to peppered in. Um uh, my favorite role of her was in an episode of Snuffbox where she plays like Ziggy Stardust era David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Because they have these, these weird musical sections where like there's one episode where, um, Elton John is there and they're like, Oh, I need my heart pills. And they're like, Oh, my heart pills. <laughs> Elton John needs his heart pills. But David Bowie shows yes. up and like Jimi Hendrix is there, but her portrayal. Of David Bowie is so fucking spot She's on. She's got the face structure for it. I'm I'm actually pissed off that um, that Alice Lowe and, and this is I'm not body shaming her, but she gained some weight over the years. But if they had made a David Bowie movie when she was that size and she had played David Bowie, she Oscar caliber. Are you missing? Or do you have Prevenge on there? I do. Okay. I do. That's my okay, next. That's I my next. Um, most that recent. Was an amazing movie. Most recently, she was in the Black Mirror uh, interactive movie Bandersnatch. Oh, yeah. And in 2016, she starred and directed in a horror movie called Prevenge. I love that movie. You talk about it? Got, yes, I saw it on Shutter one day, and I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, this is a really weird premise. I like, where do I know her from? Where do I, cause she has black hair in the movie. That's yeah. probably the only thing that kept me from. That's her natural hair. Yes. It's, it's obviously like a wig or, you know, 80s hair tease. It's great. I love all their mullets in the show. Um, but yeah, it's like, I was, I was, I thought, God, I was like 10 minutes to the end of the movie before I finally like jumped up. Third place hospital. But do you know, do you know who else is in that movie? Who? The guy who plays oh. fucking, um, Oh crap! What's his name from uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Uh, I don't know the name. Oh it's my! Not Taika Waititi. I don't know their no, name. No, no, no. From the, I know from, the other from, guy. The, from the show. From, I know from oh from um 
No, uh, it's um uh the guy who plays uh Guillermo's Guillermo. No, no Guillermo's oh, vampire. vampire creator. I can't think of his fucking I name. I couldn't think tell you his name. To say oh my life. god. I'm, He's a zombie now, so. No, 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 no. No. The vampire creator. No, oh. the actual vampire in the show. Why can't I think of his name? Oh, I have no idea. I don't I'm bad with names, so. Laszlo, Naja, and Nandor. There you go. Not creator. That's his um his master. Yes, his master. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, Nandor's in it. It always freaks me out to really remember, um, anytime, like, I saw, also saw him in Men in Black International, which is unfairly hated on. I never even saw it. Is, is alright. You know, if you like part one, two, or three, you'll go on. I in, 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 go ahead, go ahead and crucify me. I really don't love the Men I mean, in Black you don't, movies. You don't have to. I mean, <laughs> I'm not, oh god, how dare you. It's not like saying you don't like Ghostbusters, you know, it's a movie. No, that, that's a sin. That's a, that's a mortal sin. Yeah. That's, that's... I'm an atheist, but hell exists for people that don't <laughs> like <the> Ghostbusters. <laughs> or incel bastards that talk too hard, too much shit about Ghostbusters 2016. They are also in that hell. It bears the name of something that we love, and whether, whether it is, uh, inferior, and everything's inferior. Everything's even, inferior. even the good ones. Yeah, even the good ones, so. That's that. Um, I love Alice Lowe. She's very, very talented. Um, Prevenge is a movie that I watched on a whim, and yet again, I didn't realize it was her until halfway through. Oh, it's ten minutes to the end, and I was so excited. And the premise of the movie is that she plays a woman who is pregnant, and her unborn child is giving her basically, well, okay, you're trying to figure out whether or not she's just crazy, or is her unborn child giving her... Uh, the desire to murder people who have, you know, would have wronged her in the past or, you know, were just yes. misogynistic. I mean, she goes home with a guy, she's a big fat dude and his mom shows up. Like, that's just a fun, <laughs> yeah. it's funny, but the guy who plays Nandor, yes. and I feel I'm ashamed of myself for not being able to remember Nandor, um, you know, he's the good looking guy and then you have like these, these moments where they're, they're out on a cliff and it's beautifully shot and I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you, if you want to see a movie that's a little offbeat and different, I think Prevenge will, uh, yeah. will satisfy you. Tony, I need you to read the character, uh, description for Madeline Wool, aka Liz Asher. If you wrote down more than just Female doctor, psychic woman. You, little, you're little, violating the premise of the show. A little, little more, a little more. Alice Lowe is Madeline Wool, an actress who plays Dr. Liz Asher, a stereotypical fluffy blonde with occasional psychic powers, sometimes <laughs> exacerbated by heightened emotion. God, I can't <laughs> wait for that. Asher graduated from Harvard College Yale, acing all her classes and getting an A. <laughs> Madeline Wool has disappeared since the making of the program. It is implied through the in-character episode commentaries that Dean had something to do with her disappearance and claims she's probably dead, buried in the Eastern, buried in the Eastern Block, if she got a letter. And I do have to point out that Brandon spelled program like a dirty British person. I apologize about that. That's America. <sighs> Are you going to do center like T R E two? I'm going to flip the table and let not color C O L U R. All right, Rent Army, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll be discussing episode one of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, so stay tuned. Do you love metal? Are you a nerd? Well, have I got the podcast for you. It's the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast, hosted by me, Metal Thrashing Mike. And every episode, I'll be bringing you fans from the world of underground heavy metal, just waiting for you to hear them. 
So go check us out on all major streaming services as the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. All right, welcome back, Rant Army. It's time to dive into the murky waters of Wrongford and discuss episode one of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Episode one, Once Upon a Beginning, was released January 29th, 2004. What do you think the IMDb score of this episode is? Out of 10. Out of 10. 8.7. Yeah, you're you're in the neighborhood. It's an eight point one. At least it's an eight. Okay, I'll I'll give them that. I think that I, I if I were to have to rate this episode, um, I'd probably give it higher. Perfect ten for me. It's but it's it's it very is, nearly we, perfect. We were fucking. Di- we both seen the episode multiple times, and we're still out there watching it, dying laughing. Just out of curiosity, how many times do you think you've seen this episode? At least. Counting now, at least now, probably ten times over the years. I know that I have seen this episode more than any of the other episodes, simply because if I'm trying to introduce somebody to this show, this is the episode it's, I show yeah, them. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily the best episode, but I think it's the best representation of like everything you can expect from and, the yes. series. All right, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind, read the uh, episode description of episode one of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Liz's first day on the job corresponds with Douglas's friend staying in the hospital as a patient, which results in a portal to hell opening beneath Dark Place. Okay, where the fuck do we even begin? I'm going to begin with how the episode actually begins. Um, you have this sort of two aspects of the show. There is the show within a show... And then there is the show talking about the show. So you have the split of characters playing characters talking about the characters they play. Yes, it's so good. It, it's, it's the best use of meta humor I can think of, probably in any English property oh, I've yeah. ever, I've ever, Absolutely. you know, been a part of. And I, I love English humor. I, you know, going back to as a kid, I loved uh, Monty Python and stuff. And oh, I think, yeah. I think Americans generally, that's probably their first introduction to this kind oh. of humor. But if you were to take this this idea and strip it down, like what do you, how do you <laughs> contextualize <Yeah>. it? <laughs> it? It's it's like if you took Twin Peaks and um, uh, Saint Elsewhere, <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe like a you know I don't know. It, it's just a weird combination of things. But we open up on Garth Marenghi reading from one of his many many. Chiller novels. Blood. Blood, blood, blood. blood. And bits of sick. And bits of sick. <laughs> um, so right off the bat, you get a good idea that perhaps uh, Garth Marenghi is not the best writer. I disagree. <laughs> because you can go on Audible and look under Garth Marenghi, and he actually wrote and narrated his book Terror Tone, which is fucking comedy gold. I think that the writing of this show is top-notch. Oh, and absolutely. It, 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 it's a combination of both the technical, the technical aspects and both the writing being in such service to one another. You would think, like, on paper it would be easy to shoot something bad and it'd be funny. But the, the level of effort to make something look professional but bad at the same time, man, that is a level of attention to detail that you just don't have generally with this kind of... Brandon BBC Four show. Yes, Brandon gave me a little notepad so we can take notes as we're writing. One of my things is 
I love how in every shot of Dark Place Hospital, every single shot is somehow bad. The editing's off, an actor's looking at camera, scenes go on way, like, you know, Garth coming up at the funeral, walking from the background way too long to get to Liz, just eye lines wrong and back to back and forth shots, AB shots, that they're doing the wrong eye line. It is so much, and this goes across, like I said, this is probably be the longest we talk about an episode because a lot of my observations go across the entire series, but there is not an opportunity to fuck up that they miss, and it is gold. They know, and they know when, when is enough. Yeah. Because they don't push it to a point. It's not unwatchable TV, it's bad TV done very well. It's, it's the best bad that can intentionally be done. This isn't like Sharknado, which no. is like this, the same type of principle where they're doing something ridiculous, but they're doing it bad on purpose. And yeah, you might be able to find enjoyment from something like that, but the level of writing in this is just leaps and bounds. Like every, every line of dialogue is so specific to deliver a character flaw within the actor or propel a nonsensical idea of the plot that may or may not come to fruition. There's so many fringe <laughs> things about this. It's like a well-worn blanket that you just you keep pulling at those strings, and eventually you come down to nothing. How like the random use of ADR, as you mentioned, with uh, Matt Barry's the the king of it in this show, but like there'll be like in-camera dialogue taken at the scene and then randomly one of the actors 80 yard the same dialogue, just little things to throw off your brain. Like there's obvious one and the the difference between Sharknado is they knew like the principle is that they know they're making a bad movie. This is like they know but the actors will then think. They think they're making a good show. But they're making just total garbage, and that's what makes it like it separates it from schlock like Sharknado. In our introduction, before we even get into the actual show, Garth has a quote, and I'm going to read it. Back in the 1980s, I wrote, directed, and starred in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, a television pro program so radical, so risky, <laughs> so dangerous, so goddamn crazy that the so-called powers that be, be became too scared to show it and gypped me much in the same way that women have done ever since they sniffed out my money. The high opinion <clears throat> that Garth Marenghi has about himself... You can tell that, like, it's almost like George Lucas. When he lived in that bubble of yes men for years, so when he wrote The Phantom Menace, there was no one there to tell him, like, this isn't good, man. So Dean Lerner and these people that are profiteering off of his, you know, limited abilities, he's just, he's so full of himself, and that's one of the, the, the traits of the character. But... Because he's a character playing another character, you get to see this on on two levels where he 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 has the high level of opinion of himself as writing something great, but then when he plays the character of Dr. Rick Douglas, he has these these lines of where like there's a part where he's like, I'm not Jesus Christ. I've come, I've, I've come to accept that now. Where 
he's being he's being that's his idea of being humble. Yeah. But he's just compared himself to the sinless Jesus Christ. And all the other actors of the show, like they should pay you a hero's wife. Oh, that's one of the best scenes. So let's just kind of let's let's talk about like what this episode is about. In a in you have basically two plot points going on. You have Dr. Liz Asher, who's played by Madeline Wool, who has come to Dark Place. She went to Harvard College Yale and got a an A. A dollar classes and got an A. And that's just exactly that, that's the, the comedic gold. The redundancy of the writing is is so good and every every character nails their lines in a way that feels both natural and forced. Yes. And then our B, our B plot, which is like basically the, the jump start to every plot you're going to have beyond this point is that you have Larry Win- Renwick, who was a friend of former warlock Dr. Rick Douglas, <laughs> who they were pushing themselves to the point of, you know, the occult and they do a ritual in the canteen or the cafeteria of, of Dark Place. And unfortunately, uh, Larry continues the rite as as Rick goes off to get a Coke float, which is one of the funniest things. They, they even, there's a cherry on top of that quick visual joke is that each of them have crazy straws. In them. <laughs> I fucking love the details of the jokes. And you can believe that like a hack writer would write this thinking like, well, that's going to make me relatable. But you can also see it from the broader spectrum. They're just writing this because it's stupid. And it's just a funny, yes. it's just a funny gag. Now, in doing this, they open the portal, the literal portal to hell under Dark Place Hospital, yes. and... Well, Rick closed it then. He got it closed then, but there was so much evil, and then the other side inciting incident that happens later in the episode... Well, you... Okay. Reopens. Um, Larry, um, to put it mildly, explodes... And After going on a kill craze at a fish farm and killing over <laughs> almost 60 fish... That's why he's there. He was he was committed for mental uh, for mental uh, health rather than physical reasons. Um, they do a lot of shit at Dark Place, um, but he explodes, and you have this like this beautiful shot where it didn't like none of it matches up. It's from a couple yeah. different angles, and it's just like bits of what they call nernies, which are like uh, latex pieces like blowing up in the air, and you have an ADR line of Douglas. Off to the side, and he's like, "Are you okay?" And, and I laugh so hard every time. I know it's coming, but it's one of those just like it's the, it's like in MacGruber, where he's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" When everybody blows up, it's so stupid that you can't help but laugh about it. And that's what I love about this the show is that it's it's both highbrow and lowbrow at the exact same time, and it knows when when to use those elements. In like perfect harmony to service the story. I've actually thought about this. It's elevated lowbrow. You know how they talk about elevated horror? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's spot it's, on. It's elevated lowbrow humor. Because I've uh, actually had a kind of similar conversation about this and the Mighty Boosh before. And yeah. That's what I landed on was elevate, elevated lowbrow comedy. So our... Our next stop in the, uh, the plot of this episode is that... Well... You have Liz Asher who who debuts her character to the rest of the cast. She's coming to find a job, and that's great because another doctor just died horribly. Yes, exactly, because bad things are already happening in dark places. Do I have time to use the bathroom first? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Which I don't know if you picked up on this, but the the phrase "not really" 
is like a thematic thing oh, yeah. used out through the entire episode, and it amounts to fucking nothing, nothing. on purpose. That is a, that's that's the genius of the idea of the writer taking something and like, well, I'm going to have a theme through this episode. Not really, but but it, but it, does it apply in a meaningful way? Wait, not really, not really. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a great thing. Um, so she meets Matt Berry or Lucian Sanchez. I, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to uh, read the dialogue between Douglas and Asher during one of their their first interactions. No, no, I got to stop you before Douglas gets there. When she meets Matt Berry and shakes his hand and he's screaming, one of my favorite comedic touches is that as the actor playing Lucian Sanchez, he keeps looking off camera to the side for somebody to yell "cut." Yeah, and it just, it just keeps going and, and going. And you can tell that they're they're trying to fill time. Like yeah. nothing literally is cut from this show because they have such a thin plot that they're trying to, yeah. to fill time I for the episode. I love that he's looking for somebody to yell "cut." Uh, that's just always nice, one of my nice little touch. Okay. But when um, they get into the whole idea that Liz is has these psychic abilities. And, uh, you have this revelation being brought forth to Douglas. This is their interaction. Yes. Um, Douglas says, welcome to Doc Place. I've seen a more auspicious start, Liz Asher says. I wasn't planning on falling on my fanny, Dr. Rick Douglas. I had a vision. I'm psychic. Douglas says, and I'm Bo Derek. Liz Asher says, no, you're not. <laughs> and Douglas says, you're right. I'm not. I guess I use sarcasm as a defense. Liz Asher says, I see the past, the present, and the future. Douglas says, tough gig. Liz Asher says, stop being sarcastic. And then in one of the most beautifully punctuated moments of... Character development. Character development and swelling uh, sympathetic music, Douglas has his, um, his like Emmy moment. Maybe if everyone who'd ever been close to you had died, you'd be sarcastic too. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> moment. Our tragic hero. Now, through this, uh, they use Liz to, t basically is like, you know, well, you're psychic, something is going on, and she pinpoints the room where Larry's in, where he explodes. And in this exchange, uh, they have a, a bit of dialogue where Dr. Thornton, or sorry, and hospital administrator Thornton Reed, who gives one of the, the best Dead eye look in the camera yes. monologues. Uh, it, it's it's just great. But he makes a point to tell Douglas that this investigation, quote unquote, has to be orthodox. And of course, it shit goes off the fucking yes. rails because Larry explodes. And after you come back from the commercial break where he's exploded, and there's like literally nothing left but of him, but like a head and a puddle of goop. And he, he delivers one of the funniest lines where he's like, it really hurts. <sighs> and what, do, well, how does he treat this medical uh, situation, Fat Well, he picks up the, the typical accoutrement that's usually left in a hospital room of a shovel and in one of the greatest slow motion cut not to match the action of the, <laughs> you know, the other angle, smashes the head against the wall and then punctuates it with like this, Teeth showing growl moment they, after they, they they hold on that shot like a second too long. That's again the genius of every shot has something wrong in the editing or something. So the fallout from that is that you have 
Thornton Reed, who is uh, being told what's happened in front of a the the room that's got you know the caution tape on it, and there's just a big goop of blood coming from under the door, and he runs up and basically starts verbally accosting, waving uh, the shovel around. You tripped well, 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 first. First, he has a styrofoam cup. I thought it went shovel cup. Maybe it does, okay, but yeah. it, it, it it keeps cutting between the two and. Um, one second I'll have a shovel in his hand, the next it's a styrofoam cup of coffee. And they get to discussing this and basically saying that like, uh, this is the, this is the, the last thing, you know, I'm, I'm taking this to Wonton and, yeah, you know, whatever happens. I'm tell happens. the loved ones that we have to burn the remains to close the doors to hell. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. He's like, but just know, be mindful that if it turns out that I am correct and the, and the portal of hell literally opens up that I specifically told you this would happen. <laughs> and the, the dialogue is so stilted and the. Don't make a pill to cure madness or I'll put my foot so, stomp your butt so hard you can build a pool in the pile, in the puddle. And, uh, and then there's like a, a extended moment of silence. Like everybody's trying to remember their lines. And Dr. Sanchez has one of those, those great, he's like, is this Saint Croc of Shit? <laughs> is this is this Croc of Shit I'm holding? Is this, is this hospital called Saint Croc of Shit? <laughs> um, but that's when it cuts back to, uh, your insert shot yes. of Thornton Reed holding the cup and he crushes it. Then we move to our finale of the episode. Huh. And, and I'm not exaggerating that this may be my favorite thing that has ever happened on film. <laughs> This, this is, this is, this, the, the level of attention to detail to be so wrong, but so right is just wonderful. So, you have Larry Renwick's funeral. We also, we have a, um, a cameo by, yeah, um, Jul- Julian Barrett, who plays Howard Moon on The Mighty Boosh. Not the only Mighty Boosh cameo we'll have in this no, season. No, it is not. Um, although it's not said in this episode, I will let you know, and it's just one of the, like, the intentional writing failures. He's the hospital vicar, yet every time there is an address between Douglas and him, he refers to him as a vicar. So it's just a nice little, little nuance kind of thing that you're probably not going to pick up on, but if you watch it multiple times and you know anything about, you know, that kind of hierarchy, you're going to be like, okay, that's just a... Douglas is not a very good writer, and he didn't do any, you know, real yes. um, study to, you know, to prep for this. Yeah, real quickly, I just always hate that the Mighty Boosh blew up bigger in America. And I love the Mighty Boosh, don't get me wrong, but it is not as good as Dark Place Hospital. There's two episodes of our Crack Box is probably one of the greatest things ever. But it, it's consistently not as good. It, it's more of It's it. also a different type of... It's very hipster in its yes. approach, and even me, like... I, I appreciate it and I think it's really funny, but there is aspects of it that are like really cringe to me. Yeah. But the Dark Place is just Dark Place should have blown up more. I, I got it. it was on Adult Swim was as big as it got. That's a, actually a good point to talk about. When did you first see this? Did Adult you, Swim. Adult Swim. I can pinpoint the moment that I first saw. Luckily, it was the first episode. I have to interject. It was this first episode. It was the first episode I saw on Adult Swim. This is not the first episode I saw. The first episode I saw was episode three, and we'll talk about that when we we get to it. But I know exactly where I was. I was in um, Roanoke, Virginia, and I was there for a wrestling pay-per-view. And I was in the hotel, and it's like cold as fuck because our 
fucking thing or the uh, heater. The heater was not working, and we called him several fucking times. So I'm like buried under like every fucking blanket, you know, and <laughs> thing I could get on. And it's late at night, and for some reason they're showing Dark Place on Adult Swim, and I had no idea what it was, and I'm like. Figuring it out as you're watching what you're seeing is like a revelatory moment. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I wish, I wish this had been the first episode I had saw. <laughs> because it out perfectly. the level of subversion to it is just so wonderful. Because if you were to take this at face value and like the show is a show within a show and watch it on those merits, um, like it, 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 it would work. But seeing this is the first episode, no episode does it better than this one. Oh, God, yeah, the funeral. I actually have a really quick quote about the meta nature of this. This comes from Dean Lerner. I got a script, read it, scared me senseless. I looked at Garth straight in the eyes, never been afraid of holding a man's gaze. It's natural. (laughs) I said, this is going to be the most significant televisual event since Quantum Leap. And I do not say that often. The delivery of that line is so Perfectly punctuated. This shows Mr. Adewale, what is it? What's his name? Richard Iowade. Richard Iowade's acting chops because he's so natural as Dean Lerner. He is that slimeball dude it, it personified in the interviews, and yet his bad acting is so amazingly bad acting that just the man's a, the man's a powerhouse of comedy. That is a perfect uh, transition into what we're getting ready to see, and that is the culmination of this this horrible train wreck of a funeral. So Douglas shows up a little late. The, you know, the procession is already continuing, and you have all the people from Dark Place around. I don't know why they're at Bernie Renwick, or yeah. like Larry Renwick's funeral, um, I guess other than, like, I guess maybe to keep appearances up because he exploded in their well, hospital. He used to work there. He was a doctor. Nah, there. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, but they're there. And all of a sudden, the casket just starts to shake. And a completely reformed... Stitched together, even. <laughs> Larry starts convulsing. <laughs> and you the the intricates of this moment are, are geniusly funny in of itself. Because you get to see... And it's, it comes to fruition later in episodes where all you get to see is like a two-second shot of Dr. Sanchez... Um, doing a little bit of like karate stance in the background, <laughs> and I, I love I love that. And then you have a slow motion shot where <laughs> Douglas pulls out his enormous heater and is aiming for for Larry. This this undead, reanimated, stitched together corpse. My baby, move aside. The mongoose in the way. She shoot. He shoots her in the shoulder. In the shoulder, and then probably the funniest thing I've ever seen in a TV show, a single episode of TV show, you have a shot cutting where Thornton Reed is on the periphery, next to next to people, next to people, and then you have a, a an insert shot where it is him just shooting. Not even straight, slightly <laughs> into the air yes, in different directions. This like shot turns lightly, and it's in a whole other area from where he's standing. It's the best bad insert shot ever. 
And then, uh, how does Douglas finally end this, uh... A motherfucking flamethrower at it, and not just, like, a compact. Like, you can tell it, it has a hose extending off into the background, burning the corpse. <laughs> and, and then, uh, Reed, that's where, it, in the, in the one shot, Reed is by Douglas, and in the insert, he's off by himself in a different location of the cemetery, just blasting away it's, randomly with a shotgun. It's, it's the most perfect editing to to punctuate the comedy yes. like if if you held held or cut those scenes more than what they are they would the they are perfectly edited oh, yes. their precision like this is like a exacto knife level of like precision editing that you just don't get no. in in most things i love this episode and uh before we uh officially rate it for for Kingdom Come. We've shortchanged a little bit of Sanchez, who gets, you know, more to do in the in the subsequent oh, yes. episodes. But I think a lot of his most quotable lines come from this episode. When they're talking first about Renwick, he has this shot, it's like a push up to him. He's like, Who is this Renwick customer? And it's just the lingering and like the bad dubbing because all of his lines are all of dubbed. Are bad and... ADR. There'll be like one line insane, like you know, with the with the boom mic, and then hey, I know he's your he was your best buddy. If I, I'll step aside. <laughs> I'm going to. That's that. I think this is that. That's the the penultimate exchange of dialogue right there. It's, when I first came to this hospital, I was strictly so low. You were the first real friend I ever had. But if you and he wish to be best buddies again, I won't stand in your way. This is, this is, this is the show that like made Bat Mary, Matt Barry, Bat Mary's the bizarro Matt Barry, but, uh, just, God, I fucking love him. So good. All right. Scale from one to ten. This How is you... a ten. I'm sorry. This, this right here is a ten. I, if, if I had to rank this anything lower than a ten, I, I would, I would be lying. This this may be the most perfect singular episode of television ever made. Possibly. I know this is probably not going to appeal to everybody. And those people who do not like it... We don't want to like you. Oh, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong, but I get why this style of humor is probably not going to be appealing to everybody. But if you like this specific type of humor... Then we can be best buddies. This might be the best example of it ever being Absolutely, done. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Rain Army, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about Episode 2, so stay tuned. Come on down to Mask by Lands, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask, down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy. Yee-hoo! All right, welcome back, Rant Army. It's time to sneak back into the macabre world of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and discuss Episode 2, Hell Hath <laughs> Fury. It was released Thursday, February 5th, 2004. What do you think the IMDb rating of this episode is? 7.8. 8.2 out of oh, 10. That's good. This is actually the highest rated episode on IMDb. I mean, it's because it, it's partial documentary because bitches be tripping, yo. Bitches be <laughs> tripping. Yeah, th- <laughs> this this episode is uh, 
has some really, really archaic views of women. <laughs> I love it. Um, I was towering for myself five days a week. This hospital would fall apart. All right. Um, I'm going to have you read the synopsis for Hell Has Fury, and we're going to talk about it. All righty. Someone, something, or some things have attacked the chef. The chef. So why are objects flying about their, of their own deadly accord, assaulting innocent civilians, disrupting hospital procedure? It's, is it telekinesis, PMT, or a deadly mixture of the two? It's a deadly mixture of the two. Thank, thank you. That's it for this episode. No That's need it. to further talk about it. No need. <laughs> Dude, this, this shit is, oh my god, it's so, it's so perfect. Like, like, again, the bad, the bad camera work, like, especially every time they show that, the temp, uh, like, his head's just at the bottom of frame. It's just, God, it's fucking brilliant. Well, this episode starts off with another, uh, lead in from Garth Marenghi reading from one of his novels. Mike stared in disbelief as his hands fell off. <laughs> from, from, from them rose millions of tiny maggots. Maggots? Maggots, 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 all over the floor of the post office in Leighton Stone. So we're seeing a trend here that um, the writing capabilities of Mr. Garth Marenghi are very limited. Very. The best thing on that quote is he looks back down at the book one more time and pops back up with the last maggots. <laughs> maggots. maggots. <laughs> so... One of the things I really like about this episode is that this is probably the one that sh highlights the most of why Liz is an important character at the same time not really even being a character. No. She is written so brilliantly bad <laughs> so. that the the dominoes that fall from from her simply questioning uh the yeah. the um, a man uh, causes so much uh, a horrible horrible situation so the gist of this episode is they're waiting in line as they do often you know in in a hospital where everybody eats at the exact same yes. time because there's no medical duties to be required you know at uh Two o'clock or yes. whenever they're eating, um, but they're in line, and you, we have a um, a guest appearance by Stephen Merchant, That's who's, his pl name. who's playing the playing the cook, and the gist of it is that he he is very exacerbated because they keep asking about it, and every time they ask about it, he can't you know finish his duties as cooking this chicken. So we introduce the temp who you alluded to, who um, the way he's framed. Everybody is standing, you know, like front to back yeah. in line, yet he is facing the camera where his shoulder would be to the front and the back of the people in front of him and behind yes. him. And, of course, he says something along the lines of like, oh, who's this guy back here? He seems to have an aura about him. <laughs> yeah. Again, highlighting the the uh, the ego of Garth Marenghi. And, of course, he's talking about Dr. Rick Douglas, who... Cuts line to ask Liz, because, you know, Liz being a woman who her womanly duties would be, you know, cooking, I guess. Feeding the man. Feeding the man. Uh, what's the deal with this chicken? And he's, he's very, very passionate about getting this chicken on time because he's got very important things to do. And well, when, he's a man, when, so. when, exactly. <laughs> when, when Liz doesn't give him the answer that he likes, he, he starts, uh, one of the motifs for this episode and that is slapping things out of, uh, Liz Asher's hands. 
and um, trailing off with son of a bitch. So bitch. like the previous episode, we had the not the, really, not really. In this episode, we have the um, the pause just a second too long. Then son of a bitch and muttered, yeah, real quick. A lot of the, I love the bad acting choices by this are like really quick reading the dialogue lines, like. What do you? People ask you. It's people like you that drink the chicken thing. It's always. What'd you say? It's smack. Son of a bitch. It's it's the best. Like they make a point in this episode. Thornton Reed says that the episodes were running eight minutes under, <laughs> and so everything was everything uh, not dialogue it's was considered was considered for slow motion. For slow motion. But that's one of those things that like it perfectly highlights that they're willing to drag certain aspects out like to a, an excruciating point and then they'll like they're they'll just plow through others because all the scenes where it's like douglas doing something they're like painstakingly you know they hold on him every movement is given like a flutter and and an emphasis but this important catalyst is is completely glossed over his dialogue is the only dialogue that's not written Red like da, 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 da. he actually gets to like uh, of course because because he's the star he's, he's the he's the star he's he wrote him boy. he wrote himself the role of a lifetime because not because he's vain because no. he's the only he's the only person who could fill the shoes of Doctor Rick Douglas exactly. the the infamous <laughs> writer of the material only he could deliver such great lines. Uh, you know, he's an imagine imaginative. I didn't write that line down. Oh, he's, he's like, like, what would you call me, a rebel or imagineer or not imagineer, but it's something like that. What uh, he does, it's like some people, you know, I write, create, direct, produce, all this. Some people are great plumbers. That's their gift. <laughs> <laughs> we again showing that like basically everybody under him is, you know, you know, they, they may be competent in their profession, but, the they're, but, the but, but they're not him. Yeah, he, so he, is a, he, is a, he is an elite figure in this universe, <laughs> and everybody realizes it going back to the temp. Now, the the aura that the temp sees for for Douglas is not shared in the reverse. No. Douglas, without interacting with him in the least, they, they share no dialogue pre to this point. And he basically says, like, I don't like him. Like, yeah, at one point, they think he might be an android and playing on, they might need to kill him. There, you get like a really, really good insert shot of Matt Berry where <laughs> he's the revelation is like, we might need to kill him. And it's basically him like agreeing with him without yeah. words, just that the slight like head nod. Wh- yeah. Really, really funny stuff. Well, there is a mystery attacker on the wing. So what happens is you have. Liz Asher, who uh, who being ta- dressed down by Douglas is in this this state, and then not having gotten to eat because she's quite peckish. Yes, um, gets uh, finally it, it uses her moment to express, you know, why isn't this chicken ready? And everybody else has done it, but once the woman does it, <laughs> now now the the cook Stephen Merchant stomps out there, and it's like the reason this chicken is late is because women like you. You might not even get any of my delicious chicken dinner, and then smacks the tray. Well, he walk, he takes a couple oh. of steps. And then comes Personal. back and then slaps it, son of a bitch, son and of walks bitch. off. So then her psychic abilities go haywire and you get a, a ladle that like just barely bops the back of his, you know, chef's yeah. hat. And, and a fork where a fork don't fit. A fork where a fork <laughs> don't fit. Indeed. Um, we have, uh, the meeting of our principal characters complete because they've written her to be so, 
inconsequential. They're oblivious to the fact that she is... Straight up, uh, fuck, uh, Carrie White in the back of this fucking room. That's it's very obvious that yeah. Carrie was used as a, oh, yeah. as a reference point. But that, that scene in the prom, when she just goes glossy-eyed, it's just her looking at things and causing <laughs> psychokinetic events to happen... That's what's going on, but they're none the wiser, and they they get to make all sorts of hilarious, um, pointed At least you're not stuck here with Liz. <laughs> well, basically, uh, they they make their uh, their the stance that they don't want to work with the temp, but Thornton Reed is uh, per one time is telling them, no, you you've got to go out there and you've got to use this temp and you've got to investigate who this mystery attacker is. And one of the funniest lines in the episode is you have a you have a, a static like a, a, a one shot a one shot where you have the temp and just a row of people and he's asking them in succession, "Did you attack the cook? No. Did you attack the cook?" And then it pans back to a wide shot and you have Sanchez and Douglas. and Douglas. Saying, well, da- Sanchez says to Douglas, well, I gotta respect him because of how thorough he is, or something to that effect. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, an obvious joke, but it's just the flat way in which it's shot makes it so funny. And I, I didn't mention this earlier, but like the background people in this episode are so funny. And you can watch this episode probably a half a dozen times. And you'll pick up on the nuances of these people. And a lot of these people in line, they're doing really funny stuff. But one of the funniest ones is earlier where they're in line to get the chicken. And they're having their conversation. And there's a guy staring directly into the camera. And he's just mugging so Mm. fucking hard. And, of course, they hold on it just a second too long. So it's noticeable. Great, great stuff. So Liz is causing these horrible things to happen around and they're tasked, uh, they being, uh, the temp, Douglas and Sanchez to go and search for search the hospital. <laughs> Me and Liz will stay here and search my office. Yes. <laughs> Which, uh, basically, uh, Leads to Thornton Reed just saying sexist things, uh, which slowly ratchets um, her to do more and more horrible things. And of course, he's completely unwiser. She blows up a a uh, light bulb, and he's like, "Oh, can you fish a light bulb out and fix the you know the thing?" And um, all that stuff, if you noticed, is shot from behind, and. That's a subtle nod to the fact that they've given him so much dialogue that they would never be able to get it from the front. So they're, it's all it's dubbed. Head movements and ADR. And that stuff, like, it may not resonate the first time you watch this, but I think Dark Place is best when you watch it multiple times because oh, yeah. you're going to pick up on these little nuances that just add to the comedy. I laugh. What was the chef's name? The actor who played the chef? St- Stephen Merchant. There's one muttered background line when he's looking through the spice rack. He's like, Italian seasoning, no, too vague. <laughs> I don't know why that always cracks me up, but that's like, I've noticed that like the second time I saw the episode and I just fucking died. The little details, like, they may pass by you the first time, and I can tell you, like, as many times as I've seen this show, I laugh so much that it, like, it, it lends itself to rewatching because these little moments, they really add a punch. And it, you, you almost need to, like, watch it up to where you're not laughing at certain things. So you can find the laughter in the moments yeah. where you were laughing, or laughing, sorry. Yes. In this, 
they're searching. They find a the worst mannequin body you've ever seen. <laughs> this looks like something. I work in a haunted house. It's my day job. And this is the type of thing like I wouldn't put in the show. I would dress it, you know, put stuff on it. But it, it has no hands. And I don't know if that's a reference to uh, the story at the at the prologue where he's talking about the, the his hands, hands fell off. off and maggots, maggots, maggots. And he's trying to draw a parallel there. If that's the if that is the thought that is it's not done well, but it's purposely not done well. I don't think the mannequin had arms, and I think that was just kind because of, it, it even looked like the sleeve was empty, and they just had like a torso, and they'd like beat up a mannequin a little bit. I either or he probably got lost in the tunnels, went mad, and ate his hands. Ate his hands. <laughs> so they're searching around, and they get to a corner, and then you get the the first uh, visual gag of uh, Sanchez going around the corner and coming back, and he's got an iron mark on his face. Marks, too. So you've got intercutting back and forth, but my favorite stuff in this episode has to be Sanchez. Um, the, the sexual comments and the sexist stuff is, is like is great dialogue, but the physical comedy of this episode is all Sanchez. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things that's ever happened in a TV show is he has this stare down. It's like, uh, a, you know, Western, you know, gun pistols at, uh, at noon kind of thing. And he pulls his gun out and he shoots. And then his gun turns against him and he throws it to the ground and he pulls another pistol out and shoots the pistol that just shot <laughs> the iron but then he throws that pistol and that pistol turns around and chases him. Like, it's just the perfect, like, it's a meta joke on top of a meta joke. Like, every time you think you've come to the, the punchline, there's another yes. one on top of it. And it knew the perfect moment to, like, put that in, like, cap. Because I guess they say comedy comes in threes. Yeah. And if you've done it one more time, like, okay, I get it. Like, haha, very funny. But. It's perfectly punctuated. Oh, absolutely! I, I, I love I love that stuff. And in the intermeeting time with Sanchez being separated, you you have Douglas and the temp, and you think like in a traditional if this were episode were like written competently to be serious and not yeah. in the satirical way it was, you would have the bonding moment where he realizes like oh you're you're not bad. However, they cover this just by a line of dialogue where it's like basically like I've come to respect you. You're a good kid. Like for, what has no he done? Reason. No reason. He has added nothing, and he's had nearly zero dialogue to this point between the two. And I like it because it is just as random and sudden as like I hate. I don't like that guy. I love it. The the rationale is it, it's very um, it's even killed. So like the. From the writing, from the bad, the, the purposely bad writing point of view, it's consistent, but it's still, oh, yeah. it's obvious enough to lack those things that make it have any kind of revelatory quality. So the shit goes bad. Thornton is pinned to his desk. Um, the, there's twins. Oh, he's pinned after he, re after they make all the period jokes. Yes. Ripping into, to her and then <laughs> hangs up or the, then the phone like shocks in his hand. Oh God. The, the, the maybe the funniest thing that happens in the entire episode. Oh, the phone calls. The phone call. It, it's because his timing is so bad and like he gets the phone call and with no ringer. 
And just paid nose to pick up the phone call. And he puts it down, and then, like, he realizes there was more to it, so he picks it back up and puts it back down. And then, like, he has a, a couple of seconds of silence. He's like, bye. Uh, looks at the phone and says bye. Little little things like that. And they're, they're the in the, the world of this show where they had such a rushed production there wasn't time to do another another take the the non-actor worst actor ever because he doesn't want acting he wants the truth he wants the truth and he gives the truth in this episode about women and their periods and how how awful they can be (laughs) are are we going to talk about the the intercut interview where they're talking about the effects yeah go ahead some pedants you know, might see the white. You could totally see. They purposely angle the light so you see the fishing wire, all the o- objects are. Then it cuts to like, uh, the producer, uh, publisher guy. Like, yeah, some pedants might be able if they look really hard. Just, but you know, you're a freak. Do you go to a puppet show and watch the string? Like, I just love how they act. Like, it's no big deal. I, the justification in a broad sense. Is sort of true, but but it, but 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 it but it's such an egregious like misuse yes. of special effects that you have to point them out. So it's nice to have a character to point that stuff out. It's not necessary, but him rebelling against the the audience that is so obvious. I that's just a nice, really nice yes. touch. Because the story's so deep and important and terrifying. And it, it is that basically that um, women. Women on their periods are bad enough, but if they have psychic abilities, they're it's they're really going bad. to murder people who will give you sustenance and will inconvenience <laughs> you from doing you know paperwork. Which, spoiler alert, Liz kills the temp oh, in one yeah. of the, one of the funniest. <laughs> it's she's finally full on like even beyond Carrie. This is like the fury level of shit where she's floating in the air with her hair up. On so you could tell the actress was on some kind of like rotating where they're just kind of spinning her back and forth, and like Daglas is like, "Hard oh, you shame because you know, he can see up her skirt," <laughs> and then Rambo Tamp who has oh, oh, opened his shirt. Yeah. yeah, he gets his Rambo montage moment, and the music during that entire scene is just so out of date. Wonderfully out of date. Uh, he brushes at Liz and a toolbox with all of the screwdrivers in the world. Just start launching into his chest, and it so badly you can see like the board behind. Yeah, it's it. very obviously like they've got like a a piece of like uh, wood or padding. Yeah, under it it, you can see the outline of the the square. Yeah. But like once you think it's done, it still hits him with a couple more, just just for added effect. And during this, like Douglas is like. Uh, he, he, they have this really long scene where he's like pushing through and he's running, but he's doing it in slow motion. Yeah. The, and the area is just constantly filled with candles yeah. lit, like, like in the first episode, almost like they filmed this stuff at the same time and they yeah. had an existing background and like, it doesn't matter. It make, doesn't make any sense, but he runs up to her and she launches a uh, fire extinguisher at him. And at the same time, uh, Dr. Sanchez is in the basement and he has a trash, a trash can on him and their movements are almost identical. There's one great use because again it's slow-mo the action stuff but there's one use when the temp runs in that they just show Douglas from the back at regular speed just kind of shaking yeah, around. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's so and, and, the, and uh, there's no heightened 
uh, the quality of the it's of the just, yeah, of the it's audio. It's just him going, no music. Uh, uh, so they funny. never miss an opportunity to be fucking horribly bad. And I love it. So how is this? How is this resolved? Well, there, it's a it's a one two punch of Douglas throwing the fire extinguisher and bonking her on the head, and then we get a, a uh, very extended death scene from the temp. <laughs> Punctuated by the best thing at the end. I meant to file this. <laughs> yeah. We'll have Liz do it. It's the least she can do. It's the least she can do considering she killed a bunch of people. But the, the one-two punch for Liz comes from, oh, you get a, a, a lot of dialogue basically to, to wrap everything up into a nice little bow that, <laughs> that Sanchez had done a lobotomy on her. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and, She's absolutely no yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Per- perfectly Just removed her psychic abilities to move stuff. Yeah, she's she's perfectly fine now. One of the also oh. other great jokes we also miss miss talking about this is how the Arthur Garth Marenghi does sponsor a center for exploiting the psychokinetic abilities of underprivileged youth, and then they reference that in the show. Wh- within the episode. <laughs> within the episode, if only somebody. He, she even hit the child ward. If only somebody uh, had a center to raise money for the, like, harnessing of psycho- psychokinetic abilities from underprivileged youth. And he and it's, it talks about how it's funded by the military. It's a grift, but he, but he's so, he's so up his own ass, he doesn't even realize that he's like, yeah, that it he is a grift. His own shit. He's, well, he even says they had that one, the, like, Dean Lerner said, like, I saw one kid who did, did references one success story. It's just a fucking great episode. So th- this episode wraps up with uh, a quote from Liz. I guess being told I couldn't get a chicken supper was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was unprofessional and girlish. It won't happen again. Happy ending. The woman knows her place. <sighs> so good. So good. So on a scale from one to ten, what do you rank this episode? This like a nine. Easily a nine. It's not as good. Like the highs are really high. But you know the 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 consistency of the I don't know it's a nine to me, but it's great. I think this episode is as good as the first episode, but it's 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 not as overall representative as the totality of the first episode, yes. and I think that to me that's why I hold it in less regard. But I can tell you from experience that people that I've shown this series for, this tends to be their favorite episode, which well, the would, which it's you know eight point two out of ten. I Maybe would, they found misogyny funny, and there's nothing funny. I'm just playing. It's totally hilarious. It is hilarious, <laughs> and um, I, I just I, if I ever meet a woman who has uh, ESP, I'm going to avoid her on her on her period. Yes, exactly. Because or get her a lobotomy. Or uh, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that, that that costs money. That's uh, true. Some of the I want to talk quickly uh, before we wrap things up about the the sexism of this episode. I mean, obviously it's perfectly on display, but it's going to be a consistent thing with Liz's character. Um, in the first episode, uh, they talk about like basically like let's go. Uh, We'll get a coffee. I'll lend you some money for some, yeah. for some coffee. And uh, at the end of this episode, we're basically like you know. Uh, Liz is, you know, recovered. She but makes them buns, bends over buns, and they're both looking at her ass and commenting on <laughs> to her face. Oh, I see a couple I like. Exactly. But then it also wraps up with, even though he's he's trying to, from the perspective of Darth, Garth Marenghi, he's trying to write this, this character as being progressive, but still not Failing really miserably. being. 
is the episode in like the prologue, which always happens on like the, the rooftop where Douglas has to go and be Emily. alone with himself with his thoughts. And he's like, tomorrow I will tell her that her hair is nice or, or she's lost, or she's lost weight, whichever seems more likely. It's so, it's such an empty platitude <laughs> to him, but it's written from the point of like he's supposed to be celebrated for it. This episode, I would, I'd rank it at maybe a nine, nine point five. It's, it's gold. It's, it's gold. It's gold. I don't know that this is my second favorite episode, but it, 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 if it's not second, it's probably my third. It's, I know my second specifically. This is probably my third because I know my second. And it'll probably surprise you. Well, we're going to be finding that out we as will. we continue on. All right, Ran Army, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about episode three. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Dive into the new action-packed thriller, Mr. Black. This is a story about a mafia hitman, Mr. Black, whose latest target is nothing like he's had to deal with before. Mr. Valentino is a man that's into the dark arts, who calls on the Grim Reaper to kill Black. However, the spell fails to be fully successful, as he is still murdered. Now, Death himself is pursuing Mr. Black relentlessly. Now who can Black turn to for help? Who can stop a curse like this? Get Mr. Black on Amazon Books or as a digital download on Kindle. Alright, welcome back, Rant Army. It's time we return to inspecting the spooky shenanigans of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place as we discuss Episode 3, Skipper, the Eye Child. <laughs> this episode was released February 12th, 2004. Um, do you have any idea what the historical significance of that date in American history happens February to be? February 12th, 2004, or just February 12th? February 12th, 2004. Uh, no, I have no idea. That was the day, the day that gay marriage was legalized in California. Well, this show really does a lot. It, it, it read the future. Well, I mean, gay rights everywhere. You know, whether whatever side of the the cultural spectrum you are, political, you have to admit whether you agree with it or you don't, and you should agree with yeah. it that this was a monumental moment in American Absolutely. history. So, and then across the pond, we've got a <laughs> sex offender gamma ray mutant having. That's consensual sex. That's not rape because he has time to get up, pull up his pants. I well yeah. Let's read, you, the, do, I'll read the synopsis. Well, hold, before we do that, what do you think the IMDb rating for this episode is? Seven point six. Dude, you are dead on the money. Yes. This well, he spoiler. He did say this was the lowest rated, but it's not always super low because they're all good. I I I'm going to say this up front. I think this may be the most uneven episode of the series. I can see that. Um. The stuff that's funny is really it's funny, super funny, but it, it it's it this this is the emotional episode. The sex offender is always fell into the laser. What the fuck? All right, read the synopsis for Skipper the Eye Child, Fat Tony. Alrighty, when a giant eyeball rapes and impregnates a male patient, I still maintain it's consensual. Don't ask how that's possible because it won't be explained. <laughs> Tangless comes to love the resulting offspring. A baby eyeball is a surrogate for Skipper, his deceased half-grasshopper son. Okay, now you alluded to it. I'm going to read the direct quote. What I couldn't work out was how he'd managed to make another man pregnant. I guess we'll never know. So just to restate, that is something we'll never know. 
You're not going to find that out later. <laughs> in the show, just no string, no 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 strings. Like the, the, yeah. the, every everything is tied up nice and and uh, yes. perfectly in this episode. Um. So, yeah, uh, a <sighs> man receiving gamma something treatment. Got hit with a sex offender. Well, he was he he had he was he had the mumps, the mumps, and he was getting an experimental gamma treatment. But somehow, a sex offender's eye fell in the reactor. I love how that just somehow a sex offender's eye. And what we get is the one of the 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 best but best poorly done. Movie, not movie monsters, but tele- television monsters ever. It's a giant eyeball that has a, a full-on pixelated I erection mean, coming out of its mouth. But its nuts are not fucking. Like, it's got some dangling yeah. jewels, and they're not pixelated. But it's enormous per its size. Enormous, uh, you know. Yeah. It's it's hor- two hor- and a half, hor- three foot hor- of pixelated. Horse, dick. It's a horse-sized uh, dangling parsable, um, but it it. it it's pretty much the the entire size of this yes. mutant if eyeball. Lay down and be as tall standing up as laying down. Now, whether or not the the sex between I maintain this man because he seems shocked when they come in. The door's locked. He has to, like he separates and pulls up his pants. The thing doesn't stop him in the narrative of this show. Oh. And then I'm coming back to okay. the, this is why I brought up the gay marriage thing. In the in the narrative of this show. This takes place in the 80s where people were much less likely to be out and proud. Not that a... This would not even be homosexual, homosexual. sex. This, this is, this is a trans species erotica. I don't know how to even describe it. It's like trauma, but mutant furry porn. But, but in the mindset of Garth Marenghi. It's rape. It's rape, but is that but would this not be a I don't even know how to describe this is is the joke that gay sex is somehow monstrous and maybe he's not willing to state that outright but subtextually, subtextually that's what possibly, is being said yes and he does have issues with all kinds of, like in this episode, you know, he talks about not having a son. He has four daughters, and I don't blame them. I don't blame <laughs> them per se. Well, you know everything about having multiple daughters. That's a horrible thing. Okay, so Eyeball Rapes Man immediately gives birth. Well, well, as, as he's giving birth, um, Douglas comes in, revolver in hand, Always. and just pumps this thing full of fucking <laughs> bullets. It, it's to be believed, even though like he's ninety percent eyeball, that he's shooting him in, in the fucking dick, yeah. which is just funny in of itself. And as this happens, uh, the man gives birth to Skipper the Eye Child. Now we'll find out the significance of why he names him Skipper. But then we cut to one of the like talking heads, the the interviews. contemporary interviews, or talking about the the situation of how this was shot and like it was you know it was a closed set and Only it was ten or twelve people. Yeah, which if you know anything yeah. about movie sets, that is that's still quite a few, but. 
he was like, it was a man who until that day he trusted, <laughs> implying that maybe this scene was a lot more invasive than they had yes. planned it to be. Um, rape is something, and, and I don't want to get too far into this because we'll, we'll start to uh, offend people. Rape is among the most horrible things that can happen to anybody. That being said, and at the expense of being pegged, um, Ah, in pig. the in the in the correct light, it can be used comically, and I think that this may be um, maybe not the best version of that. But the fact that it is an inhuman thing raping a, a human, I, I think, gives it a little less bite in terms of like how you would be viscerally could be viscerally offended by it if it were you know a a man raping another man or, you know, a man raping a woman, it doesn't have that same bite. So they're skirting around the, the, this can never happen. So we can laugh. At exactly. It. Um, we have really fucked up sensibilities and, um, I, this is right up my fucking alley. Oh, yeah. a, 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 a monster eyeball raping a man I love is funny. Without context to me. Oh, yeah, I don't need... <laughs> I just put that on a loop, and I'm good. I love how Dean Lerner in the interview is so upset that they even had to pixelate the erection. How it's shame. You know, it's just yeah. we've all had a boner. Yeah, and I might have one now. And then there's, like, the pause. The, the pause. I don't have one. <laughs> I love it. I have one now, and you wouldn't know it. <laughs> yeah, then he realized how that sounded. It's... But, I fucking, okay, just speaking of, we're watching this on Peacock. And we're talking about getting humor out of it. This is not funny. It's funny what Peacock did, but the movie's not funny. Are you aware of the movie The Accused with Jodie Foster? Yeah, I've seen it. Go to comedy sometime. Go through comedies. Are you fucking serious? I'm not kidding at all. Jesus Christ, I NBC. What are you, what are you of, thinking? The, I almost took a picture of my TV the other day. I was going, sitting down with Sadie, we're going to find a comedy. And I'm like, she's like, what's The Accused? I'm like, no, no, we're in comedy. And I looked, I'm like, okay. The Accused is one of the most fucked up movies ever. Okay, you, you're throwing me on a tangent right now, okay. but th- this, is actually, this actually relates. One of Fat Tony and I's favorite, and God, this is going to make us sound oh, terrible. God. We do not condone rape in any sense of the word. Are we telling the, the remake story? No, 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 no. Okay. No. I randomly, several years ago, when Netflix was like very first a streaming thing, I was looking through what I thought were musicals because I was trying to find <laughs> um, this one fucking movie. It was in my head, and I couldn't remember. It was something from my childhood. And I came across a movie called Rape Squad, it was in the fucking musical category. Now, technically, there there is a there is a very minute musical quality to it. But having something listed out of, out, context, out, out yeah. of context is almost a guarantee. Well, I've got to watch this this movie. I'm thinking it's going to be a musical, and it's called Rape Squad. What the fuck could this be? Rape Squad is. 70s exploitation schlock. It is, it's hilarious, but it is not a musical. It's dark as fuck. And I thought until, until you literally told me that, that that was the worst mis, uh, mis- uh, classification of something on streaming media I'd ever seen. Wow. The accused. The accused was in Peacock's comedy section and I almost died. The P, you know, 
That's fucked I up. I tried to remember that movie. I'm like, is there any point in that movie where it's funny? And I'm like, no. There, there's a lot of pratfalls and and pies to the face. Yeah, Jodie Foster won. Uh, it's won the, the director's cut. They she had a pie fight after. She won the BAFTA for uh, best female comedic <laughs> performance. Uh, it was up against her and um, the the people who ate shit and sallow that year for the uh, MTV Movie Award for for funniest moment. That's yeah. terrible. That's fucking terrible. Yeah, Peacock, you might want to let, let's get the Red Army stirred up about this. Let's go on social media. At Peacock why, on on why X. Is this on comedy. Why? Why? It's not even comedy drama because you know Netflix will like you know have like so many subclassifications. This is straight up comedy, dude, dude. If you have the accused listed under dramedy, you you're wrong. It's just a straight up drama. If, if you find com- comedic value out of this, you you might want to get your head scanned. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, back Anyways, to this, this great uh, <laughs> scene of, of being upset about having a pixelated boner and and unfortunate acting. I like how this is the one time, like the first time they really go behind the scenes because they even stage fake behind the scenes photos. Yeah. Like I appreciate was- the, the going the extra step for that stuff because I can tell you, as somebody who's never worked on a movie, but, you know, our good buddy Mick Strawn, I've had so many conversations with him about what it takes to do anything on a set, it takes, you have to set up lights, you have to set up the camera, and that you have to set your aperture, and like, there's a lot of things you don't think about. It's not just set it up and shoot it. It's not just an A yes. and B situation. Everything takes time, and that crew, time is money. So, the them doing these little things to flourish the world, to make it feel more th- th- three-dimensional, adds to the ridiculous satirical quality. Oh, absolutely. So this movie, this movie, this episode, ultimately, if you were to break it down, is about how uh, the character of Rick Douglas lost his son, but it's also about the parallel of how Garth Marenghi has daughters and no son. So you find out through... Don't blame them per se. (laughs) Don't blame them per se. (laughs) But he, uh, you find out that Douglas had had a son, and he was a mutant. Half, he half was man, half grasshopper. He was the other, which is one of those yes. literary terms that, like, the pretentious like to throw around. Um, but it's used so um, ham fist, ham fistedly yeah. here. But yes, he's half man, half grasshopper, and the scenes they shoot of like uh, his memories, they're shot. It, it almost looks like VHS camera. Like eight quality. Yeah, right. like, or, you know, yeah, like yeah. just like home movie quality. And it makes the prosthetics they have on this kid look so bad. And it is so good. Like, I wouldn't that even, they, they had, like, there's a little jaw moving it. Cause I, before I saw the jaw movement right there, I thought it was just a mask, like a straight up, like, elastic band around the back of the head mask. But it does have articulating little antennas. Well, yeah, they, they just they just, they, just they, they they bend with gravity okay, as, he, as he as he yeah, as right. he as he hops. Spoiler: the reason that Douglas is so sad is that this day is the one year anniversary of the death of his son, 
And he goes out of his way to tell you that, like, he's not going to tell you. But then he's like, but it, it has something to do with jumping and the blades of a helicopter. <laughs> so you can infer what happened there. A grasshopper jumped into a blades of a helicopter. It's so just dumb. Well, he takes the baby. He's all happy. You get the memories. He's driving in this car, and one of my favorite shots is he just gets out of the car, leaving a baby in the car seat. Don't mess with the windows. And let's talk. Let's talk about uh, that car. It's like a weird golf cart. I think in cart. the in the supplemental stuff that you can find on the disc. And number one, it is a shame this has not been released in America because the only way that I even had this is I have a bootleg copy that somebody has burnt the disc onto you know a, a yeah. DVDR. But I have basically the disc that was available only in Europe. And in the supplemental supplemental uh, material, they talk about how uh, <laughs> all sorts of stuff, ranging from, you know, behind the scenes and, and all this stuff. But they, they talked about that this car, the justification for it was that, oh, well, if it's a big hospital, they have these things where you can, like, basically, if you, if you like, your wings sprawl. They need yeah. something they can get from one wing to the other. Um, but also you only see like one or two hallways of dark place yes. and then like a, a basement that is, you know, like three fourths that they film in different angles to get. So the point is that like dark place, you see it, it's a model for one, yes. a very crudely built model and not even trying to hide the fact that it is a model. And it's not that big to necessitate so, this. So it, it, that's just a fun little flourish yeah. to, you know, the, he sees himself as like the dark place he works at in his head is huge. This big, all important thing. Yeah. And, um, in reality, it's, you know, maybe a hundred rooms and, yeah, you know, four floors. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's, he's taken this child because he realizes that his son was taken from him too, too soon. And because it is sort of a monstrosity, he, he sees that like, I can appreciate this child because my child was an abomination to yes, God, basically. Yes. Um, so he, 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 like you said, he doesn't show great parenting skills because no, he, he leaves it in a locker and he leaves it out in the car. Out in the car, we got to get to the locker thing because that's some of their best self insert, meta self insert ever. So even though Liz was given a lobotomy in the previous episode, she's still psychic. She still has some psychic abilities. She can't just move stuff. Man. We we get a a lot of contextual layered dialogue in this in this scene where uh, Douglas is they're in their like recreation area, yeah, their the staff, you know, the staff room. room or you know the break room, and. He realizes, like, oh, I need to hide my thoughts because Liz can hear what I'm thinking. This is after he stuffs the baby in a locker. Stuffs the baby in a locker, which I don't, you don't ever see him fully put him in or take him out from it. It's yeah. always like insert shots. And I, and what's funny is that that, it would not fit in there. No, locker. yeah, it's too big It to would fit. not fit in there. And to block his mind, he picks up a Garth Marenghi novel. A slasher. Yeah, and starts reading from it. And he starts commenting on how good it is and how the genre has been, you know. Misjudged. Exactly. So yet again, his ego getting the best of him in this this situation. He's trying to read his mind. He's reading that and mentions Garth Marenghi. And then Liz Asher, you know, is, oh my god, I love Garth Marenghi. I've read everything he's written. But it's not, number one, it's not a book that he was reading before this. 
No. But he picks it up. Opens and then like he, 50 they, to 100 pages in. And he, and he drops it. And the thing he's using as a page <laughs> yeah, bookmark. A, uh, bookmark. bookmark is a picture of his grasshopper son. So she starts to walk off and he's like, now I can think about Skipper the High Child. And he's like, I child. So they're putting the, you know, the, yes. the puzzle pieces together. And then we have the emotional uh, sing along. Yes. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to sing the entire thing, but I have to say that th- this may be something that I quote <laughs> on, if not daily, at least weekly basis. And I have never said it to someone that got it. And I, I cry for the children of the world. Works for a bunch of unsuffit, uncultured children. But I, it, and it's, it's not so much what he's saying, it's also the way he says it. But he sings this song, it's like, they turns into none. No singing town for singing. No, it. no, his, it. his, his accent is so, bad. so thick, and he's like, basically he's like, um, don't sing it, me father. I won't forget you. I can't, I can't because you're dead. <laughs> and then, and we'll be together now. And one day we will meet in Valhalla. <laughs> I say okay. that all the time, and no one gets it. But there, there is like a a loose mu- musical motif through through the episodes, and like it crescendos in episode six. And I can't wait to talk about that yes. because musical talents and uh, the lack thereof are totally on display and it makes for a terrific earworm that it does but even this song even though it is purposely performed badly it it sticks with me and it has been in my head pretty much since the first time i've heard it and the way he says valhalla <laughs> and that is the only way i can say it valhalla it really is it's like it's a weird a u.s southerner meets british accent combo thing well the the nice moment they have is interrupted by a model helicopter <laughs> yeah. which this is the moment and and yet again this is that where it's both smart and stupid where this is the moment where he hit his fight his fight or flight really comes into play because his son was killed by, by a, a helicopter, helicopter and this tiny helicopter and he's cornered by his friends who you know, Are they lock him up. Give us the kid, and he. Oh wait, no, that thing's a potential killer. Here are the lab results. He holds up a piece of paper that says "lab results," and below it's potential killer. potential killer. Good stuff. So they they show their opposition, and they have a you know has an internal moment where you're hearing his dialogue and they're not hearing it. He makes his decision and he fucking punches Liz <laughs> who is holding a burlap sack for them to throw the eyeball into because that's their that's how a medical team would yes. deal with this, you know, no no sanitary means. Just throw it to a sack and we'll throw it off the fucking roof or whatever. And then he actually throws somebody off the yeah, roof and punches this, somebody off the roof. And one of my favorite things in this episode is that you get an an off-screen uh, 80-yard line of dialogue where he's like, he's got a stick. <laughs> and then he goes around the corner. And it, it's just him running around in slow motion, <sighs> hitting with people with that. Growling scream. And it's it's like a <laughs> branch of a tree. And 
everything is slow motion, but you can tell in the way that they shot it that they shot it extra slow. Oh, yeah. So it adds like a, a quality on top of the slow motion already to make it look bad and not like purposely done in slow motion. And when you think about stick, think like small firewood log. <laughs> like that's the stick he's got. So he gets cornered, they're in the lab, and they beat the shit out of him. Well, he beats it, he starts a pretty good, like, smashing beakers and stuff. But yeah, there's so much, like, sugar glass in this episode. And there's one, like, where they have him down, and there's just one last they do on his head (laughs) just to add insult to injury. And then Thornton comes in, and he's like, cool it! You know, get him, get him down. They they basically he realizes he's he's beat. He has the moment to say goodbye to Skipper. He pulls down the blanket from its mouth and starts like you know doing like the the, the yeah, yeah the lip like blah, 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 kind of thing, and it bites him in his hand. And then some of the funniest physical comedy <laughs> since the Three Stooges comes about. It's horribly violent. He beats that baby to death. He beats the ever-living dog shit out of it. And Bloody he, puddle in the sink. The the wrap-up of this is that we get a one-shot, super close-up of Thornton, who comes in and is like, you know, basically, you need if you need anything, yeah. I'm here for you. Take all the time you need. And then he ducks out of the shot, <laughs> and then a couple seconds in, comes back in and is like, I actually, sorry. No, they need you to come back in because they've got to bleach the sink where you killed that fucking eye monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, he's like, take all the time you need. Oh wait, actually, there, there's some no, other. The end of it where they go back to the. He's thinking about his dead kid, and they go back to their day to day home videos, and it's just him being more and more aggressive just in sports with his kid. Like they're playing shuttlecock or whatever it is the kid keeps scoring and he finally tears down the net and sends him inside with his wife looking all sad which you could you could argue probably led it was a direct result in uh him uh, his son wanting to jump higher to yeah. to gain the affection of his sports i always see him though the the weirdest thing in this episode and this episode has an eyeball that rapes pain, yes. rapes people is that we have a scene where basically, like any time that like a character's off screen and then they're reintroduced in, you kind of get like a an in, like an entrance scene of them like coming off having done something else, and you find out in Dark Place that they have a fencing arena, yeah, and, and um, you you know, set your stuff up from there. Um, I just Sanchez like, and Liz come out from fencing practice yeah, at the and, hospital, and you get some wonderful um, sexist dialogue there. Where Fair you know, be in the shower, you can scrub my legs, and then you know, you get the the token shot where like she, you know, stands and cocks man. her hip, and like you know, her, her ass pops and out. She actually says, "Ah, oh, man, yeah." She looks pretty good in that spot, even with her terrible, terrible wig. Yes, the it's horrible wig, and then they come up and. So they both ask the same question, but he says something. What does he say? Borrow and you can get me back later. That it's something so fucked up that even Sanchez kind of like cocks his head at it. I don't remember I exactly, remember. but that exchange right there. Actually, let's let's back up okay. just a hair because Thornton speaks with Liz and Sanchez. And they're like, we're going to go talk to him. It's like, do you want to join us? And then the funniest <laughs> single word of dialogue in the episode, and it's it's all about the delivery. They're like, Thornton, do you want to join us? And there's a pause. 
no. And then he just turns around, walks up, <laughs> like kind of waddles away weirdly. I love that so much. This, there is a, something at the beginning that kind of ties the whole theme together where they're talking about how there's this one particular bathroom in Dark Place that is always gross. Like Sanchez found a piece of shit in there and it's, it's, um, pube on the pipe. Pube on the pipe. He's complaining about it and, there is a lot of dialogue, and I don't have it word for word, but it says something to the fact that feelings have a way of sticking to you like a pube, like on, a pipe. pube on a pipe. And in that way, this this episode is beautiful. And then they cut to the interview. Oh, oh the pube on a pipe, you know, it's based on a real experience. And, and it cuts to Dean, like, you know, I wouldn't mind. I'm, I know my pubes are gray, even white even. So I can't take credit. And, like... It go, cuts back to Garth Morangi's like, but I moved that pew, and I'm glad I did, because it made that well, the world a better place in a little bit. And then we have a hard cut, and you find out that Skipper was actually a dog, oh, yeah. and he had been killed by bees. Killed by wasps. Oh, wait, well, it's like it's wasps. Even more sad. It's like a fake dedication to a thing. All of these, like, and it just show, it shows you how shallow his writing is, because, like, everything is, like, Engrandized and something. I mean, a dog dying that you love yeah. would be a horrible thing, but he's he's that's basically he's saying that he loves that dog more than his daughters because he want he wants a son so much. And I love how it's just an extra little fucked up thing to tack on at the end. He he saw a room for a joke and he filled it perfectly. Like, oh, it's a dog, and then gives you like killed by wasps, like a horrible <laughs> savage way for a poor dog to die. All right, uh, scale of one to ten, what do you give this episode? Oh, God, like, like I can give it like eight and a half. Well, eight. I have to give it an eight because there are scenes that lag, and I don't think it's intentional for comedic effect. It, it is establishing the fake dramatic tone, but even even the worst of the worst is still fucking funny. This episode has some of the biggest laughs, but it does have moments that do drag. IMDb has it as 7.6. I think that that's fair. I would probably rate it a little higher just because, I, for the sheer fact that I've seen this episode so many times, I've seen the entire series, you it know, multiple you times. You quote on the daily. That it does. Or weekly. That it does. All right, Rent Army, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about episode four. So stay tuned. Hey wrestling fans, this is Eddie Shepard, one half of the guys over at Wrestling Recommendations, telling you to check out our podcast. Each week, myself and my best friend Travis Lasseter dive in with a deep retrospective and watch along to some of our favorite matches. We have curated a list of over 200 plus matches spanning over 40 plus years. We take all those matches, we throw them into a randomizer, and the very next week, that's the match we cover. Check us out. At Wrestling Recom on Twitter, R E C O M M, and Wrestling Recommendations on Facebook. And you can find us wherever podcasts are available. And let us bring our wrestling recommendations to you. Alright, welcome back, Rant Army. We gotta get back to discussing Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, or My Ass's Grass, and Wonton is the Lawnmower. <laughs> so let's discuss episode four. The Apes of Wrath. This episode was released Thursday, February 19th, 2004. 
Do you happen to know of anybody famous who might have been born on that day? Oh, God. No. I'm bad with birthdays. So this person, let's do the math. They would be 19 years old as of right now. They're on a very, very popular show. One might even call uh, a you know hugely culturally relevant, one of the biggest things of the past several years. A little Netflix show you may have heard of called Stranger Things. Yes, Millie Bobby Brown was born on this day. That has nothing to do with this episode, other other than uh, this episode and um, this series is weird and Stranger Things is weird too. She is, yeah. So, yeah, this is probably the the greatest thing that ever happened in her life. Uh, Weird, (laughs) weird British comedy uh, giving giving birth to Stranger Things. Um, What do you think the IMDb rating of the Apes of Wrath is? Eight. 8.1 8. out of 10. 1. I'd have to say also, ironically, this episode does have a lot of bicycle riding like Stranger Things. Oh my god, it all ties it in. All t- Illuminati confirmed <laughs> she was... She, She's a lizard person. They they birthed her from like one of those lizard uh, birthing chambers where it's... Beneath the surface uh, of the crust in, of the earth. In the, in the, it's in between the, the magma and the, and the <laughs> whatever. Anyways, so uh, if you would be so kind to read the synopsis for the Apes of Wrath, and uh, it's going to take you all of like five seconds because it's pretty short. Contaminated water turns the staff of Dark Place Hospital into intelligent apes. Um, yeah, it don't get any more. It takes over half the episode for Rick to realize that. Though. Yeah, his the the logic is definitely there, but the uh, Sherlock Holmesian uh, skills of our cast are not being put uh, very well on display. This episode has a lot of really really good. Um, Quotes and stuff, and I'm going to start this one out with uh, the quote we hear, we see at the top of the episode as uh, uh, Garth Marenghi is giving us our introduction. You know, my books are essentially about what what ifs. In Black Fang, I asked, what if a rat could drive a bus? And what if it and the rat, its rat brethren took over and ate Parliament. When I wrote, directed, and starred in tonight's episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, I was asking another what if. Now, I won't tell you which what if it is, but it's basically along the same lines, uh, but with a different animal. Without giving away too much, think about Planet of the Apes. Yeah. This episode is the poor man's poor man version yes. of Planet of the Apes. So, I want to say first, real quick, but to interrupt you, going out, I just said this was my least favorite man. I slap him out. Like, it might not be. Like, I, 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 when I think back on it, I'm like, man, there's this part and that part to do more. But man, I really did enjoy it this time. So, uh, earlier in, in the episode, I, I said the first episode I had ever saw was episode three. I was actually incorrect. It's episode four, because I always get, uh, which, the order yes. of uh, Skipper the Eye Child and Apes of Wrath mixed up. This is the first episode I ever saw. And and I'm not throwing stones because I do think that every episode to some degree is great. Oh, yeah. Um, but to your sentiment about the idea that this you thought this was your least favorite episode, I always go back and forth between this episode and Skipper, to which is my least favorite. They both have moments that drag. They both do. But man, get again, this episode uh-huh. has things that I quote on a 
near weekly, if not, you know, daily basis. Um, later on, not to jump the gun, but we have Douglas coming out of a, a coma. He'd been in a coma for a month. And you find out that Dark Place has been overrun by this green liquid that is turning everybody into, it's devolving them yes. into monkey men, for the lack of a better word. Hello, Erectus. And you find out that Dean Lerner, uh, at playing the role of Thornton Reed, doesn't want there to necessarily to be a cure because everybody's working for literal peanuts. And of course, Douglas being the moral compass of all these people around, he questions it. And then you have this great scene where this is the moment where Douglas realizes that everybody is turning into monkeys because uh because he's becoming he, he's sh- starting to show ape-like character characteristics but it's him slamming his fist on on a desk and he's going you're a fool you're a fool to walk away i don't know why this is stuck with me because this is not an episode of the series that like i think about that much but for whatever reason this this line of dialogue has just ingrained itself into me so anytime something petty happens you know something Inconsequential. I always go. You're a fool. You're a fool to walk away. But let, let's let's take a step back. So our episode starts out. You've got uh, Douglas running into the break room, and he's basically trying to get the attention of Sanchez. Sanchez. You copping Z's? He's a you know trying to yeah. you know rest on the on the couch and he's like, we've got basically child surgery. We've got to do and he, dying out there. <laughs> so he runs and gets a teddy bear because that's how he, you know, he's going to solve, cares. he's going to solve with a pure love. As this is going on, Sanchez is trying to wake up. He goes to the water cooler and it's filled with, uh, basically, um, high C ecto cooler. Yeah. The shit looked good. Like light lime Kool-Aid, yeah. you know? So he drinks it and no one even has the, the hint of suspicion that their drinking water is green, they just go with it. It says, that's odd. Peculiar. Peculiar. He, and immediately, he has the most hilariously bad uh, prosthetic brow wow. piece where he's turning into, uh, you know, quote-unquote monkey man. Because, yet again, the understanding of what the difference between a monkey and a, and a gorilla or chimpanzee, like, these, these things are not important to no. our our great author of Garth Marenghi. There's a great joke as they're riding back to the hospital in the car. He mentioned, mind you, it's an open top little scooter thing. <laughs> he leans his head out. He talks about it smelling like an ape. He leans his head out and sucks a breath through his mouth real quick, completely unnecessarily, because they never miss an opportunity for a little game. We literally just watched this episode, and I think that was probably one of the biggest laughs that we both had, like, oh, simultaneously. Yeah. That and our hard cut coming up here in a second. Oh, my God. There, there's there's some great uh, hard cuts and uh, editing in this episode. But, so, our, the launch-off part is that now, okay, Sanchez is... Uh, afflicted with this disease, the, the gang gets together and, um, no, you, we're you... skipping, we're skipping my favorite part. Before anything happens, uh, Douglas has to go in and meet up with a very special child. Oh, shit. That happens next. Oh, That's... I'm glad you brought that up because I have a point to make about something we forgot to talk about in oh. the first episode, but go ahead and, and discuss it. Yeah, that. he goes in, he's like, good news, you're gonna be okay. And those medications you couldn't afford. I paid for them out of my own pocket. And the kid's like, oh, I owe you everything, everything. Hard cut to Dean Lerner 
hard hard cut to Dean Lerner. I punched one of the child actors on set because he was unkind about Garth's writing. These little chi- <laughs> moments where the the children are involved are uh-huh. they're they're not really that many of them. In fact, there's only two. But in the first episode, um, we, we kind of glossed over this. Well, he really he came to the realization he's not Jesus. He, yes, and um, you have that great cutaway ADR dialogue. Never take drugs. Never take drugs. <laughs> but. He's put himself, they, they established that Douglas is a brain doctor, but yet again, that he basically fits whatever need the story has for him. But he, through two episodes, this and the first one, he has these moments with these kids and they look up to him and speak to him as if like, he is the, the, the hero of the yeah, day. He is he is their god. And in the first episode, basically, he's like saying, you know, talking to the kid. He's like, they should pay you a hero's wage. And, and those little moments just, again, hammer home the part that Garth Marenghi is so self-absorbed that even in this fictional world, he has to be praised to a, a ungodly level. The hard cut to Dean Lerner talking about punching a kid who was unkind about Garth's writing. He's like, it's really more of a backhand than, a, you know, a punch. But, you know, he came up with a bruise, cry, cry, cry. But I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I laugh so fucking hard, man. It's just immediate. Uh, anytime that children get hurt in media, they're, they're, you're going to get one of two super visceral responses. It's either going to be like, a Freddy got fingered moment. That's exactly what I thought. Where the kid getting hurt is the funniest thing in the world. Ever. Or you're going to have a pet cemetery moment where the kid getting run over by a semi truck is the most traumatic thing in the world. This thankfully is in the funny camp yes. because, you know, kids generally, they're uh-huh. usually off, off limits when it comes to media because those sensibilities, people just are like that and animals. Like no one wants to see them get hurt. But I, I'm so glad that when, when a joke could be funny, hit what, a kid. It, yeah. That was the only funny thing in the Kevin Smith movie, uh, Cop Out is when, uh, Tracy Morgan punches that little kid in the dick. I don't know. Even... Something you know, don't know about me. I'll punch a little kid that he punches Tracy Morgan in the dick and then Tracy Morgan punches him in the dick. And that's the only genuinely funny scene. And also when he says, there's something you don't know about me, I'll punch a little kid in the dick. I don't remember that. I only saw that movie once, but it, it's, it holds true. Yeah. Violence against children is, uh, when done properly can be and should be the funniest thing in your movie. Cut that out and make a techno remix of it. Somebody, please. <laughs> Child violence approved by Brandon A. Lane. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a t-shirt coming soon to <laughs> rantharmy.com. Um, our core group gets together. Yes. They discuss basically what they need to do, but then they're like, but first let's, let's have some drinks. So Liz drinks the water. Um, he, Garth only has coffee cause he wants to keep. He doesn't, well, he doesn't want to drink. Uh, yeah. He doesn't, well, uh, Rick Douglas doesn't want to drink, uh, Sanchez's. Sanchez's. And so, um, you have, uh, Thornton making him a, you know, coffee and this, this gag, it's it's done half half assed here, and then later on, this basically the same gag, but with uh, putting carbonation in a drink using yes. the same apparatus, is done so so perfectly. But it, it takes a little too long, 
just just drawing this scene out, and then you have him give him the coffee, and they all clink their their fucking styrofoam cups together, and they clink like glasses. That was a genuine laugh. Um, There are moments in this episode that are probably crossing the line of of what makes this series truly great of like writing that line. And I think that joke is, it's probably just a hair over the line of too ridiculous, but there's one that comes up later that still makes me laugh, but it's just as egregious. And we'll, 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 I mean, there's no point in us being super linear about this. We'll just talk about it. So at some point we end up with a, uh, a monkey bicycle chase, and they're on these bicycles, yet they put, they're putting out motorized oh, BMX like, sounds. Yeah, and like, oh my yeah. god! And except for the one shot where it cuts back to Thornton and Douglas, then it's just bikes, it's ding ding, jingle jang, and then it cuts back to the back that, shot with the and that shot's also rear projection, which yeah. is like very. Uh, stands out visually from it just makes the insert yes. all the more jarring in a comedic way. So my my question is is like are these things because this is like episode 4 are you willing to kind of go with the more ridiculous stuff? I'll let them amp it up. You have to amp I mean saying the same's fine as long as the story's fine. But you know sometimes again as the show progresses you got to escalate. I look at it. And this, the whole premise of the show is it never got aired. That well, it 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 aired oh, briefly in, in Argentina, Argentina, but it got delayed. It got taken off the air for a rerun of Who's the Boss, which I didn't mention this in the last episode, but that literally happened um, at some point during the airing of it. You know, it this the actual show, not the show within a show, but it got preempted for an episode of Who's the Boss in one of the most. Unintentional, hilarious. Wait, may have been intentional. Who knows? Intentional or otherwise, it's one of the most apropos, uh, you know, moments in history. I I love it. It had to have been intentional. This was 2004. Who's the boss? Like was off the air by before the end of the 80s. Well, no, 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 no. no. It was started late 80s because I was old enough. My first crush was Alyssa Milano from that show. So it started late 80s. Yeah. So it was early 90s when it was there. So it had, it probably was intentional from the rip because, you know, they don't film things every week like South Park. So they probably had the joke written in and they're like, hey man, one day, like maybe on episode two. See, I don't even, I don't even know if it was like during its original run or if it was like when they, because the way B- the BBC works is like a lot of their stuff is like funded, like uh, like we'll give you a grant towards Thanks this socialism, and um, <laughs> it'll be like six episodes. <laughs> That's why a lot of these shows are like six episodes yeah. rather than like the twelve, thirteen season episodes we do over here or twenty four, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they do like shorter seasons, and it's because partially those things are funded um, by you know grants and stuff. But I don't, I don't know if it happened during the run or if it happened like later on, no. like during reruns. It's beside the point. The fact that it happened it's and was amazing. talked about in the, in the actual show, intentional or otherwise, is so funny in of itself that I, I just, I love that it happened. So let's, let's take a step back. Um, in, in this situation, uh, you have basically everybody going about their daily lives as they're trying to figure out what's going on, but they don't really do any hard investigating until basically it's too late. 
Um, Sanchez goes about his work and Sanchez he knocks out. Oh, okay. well, yeah, wait, yeah, hold, yeah, yeah. hold I'm on. Skipping. I'm skipping. He, he goes into surgery and basically, um, flatlines somebody because of his damn monkey hands, his monkey hands. And we get our second appearance by Julian Barrett as Padre, oh. aka the vicar, uh, where they go to the, the parish to, um, to, to basically get the, Church's official stance no, no, on no. evolution and monkeys were created by God to entertain man, which is that's gospel for that me. Sounds, I'm that's 100% that. gospel for me. And his, of course, you find out obviously that he's been overtaken by the, by the green substance because Doc, Douglas keeps saying like, you know, he's thirsty. He wants to take a drink and like he basically prevents it because he wants it all for himself. It's mine. <sighs> Then in the aftermath of Sanchez's um losing his patient, he begs Douglas like to do what's necessary if he starts to, you Go know too far. and basically immediately knocks him out with a fucking club. A caveman club. And that like, caveman they... club, the way it is put together, it looks like and like one of those uh blow mold plastic. Yeah. Like uh like something you would get from like a dollar store, you oh, know, yeah. like a a dollar caveman prop. So funny. And then it holds on a shot of Matt Berry. His dream. Well, no, before oh. that, but the shot of Matt Berry where he's just gritting his teeth. Oh, yes. That scene is Man. so funny, but then it perfectly transitions into Douglas's dream. On a black table getting moved, like supposedly <laughs> a black screen. It's, but it's, uh, it's like a push-pull to make yeah. him look like he's falling, even though like nothing's really happening. And, man... There, this is, this little microchasm of a moment is, is wonderful because he's like at a crossroads and it's him looking in this direction and looking in that direction. There's nothing. I look back. I've looked forward. I look back again. And, but then he sees himself in monkey form. And I saw myself as a monkey. <laughs> but to a, a callback to episode one where you get to see him coming out of the shower and he's got that it's abnormally short. short um, bathrobe oh, yeah. on, and he's just like slick as a baby's ass on his legs. He's hairy everywhere, and he's wearing tidy whities which is a gross visual to begin with. But his legs are not hairy, but the rest of him is. See, he has to shave because he's got a very hairy chest. We didn't mention, but there's several episodes he rips his shirt open for no reason for dramatic effect because clothes can't contain his emotions. I, I have to believe that that when he opens his shirt up and does that, that's got to be a reference. To Marlon Brando, no. and, um, blanking Re- on the Rebel name. Without a cause. No, no. Uh, Post Malone's drinks twice. Stella. Yeah, that's streetcar named desire. Street, streetcar named street desire. There we go. As a man who has naturally hairless legs, he had to have shaved because that man's upper torso. I have a little chest hair. All my body hair is around my pubes, assholes, and arms. I like to think. I like to think that the most expensive. Makeup prosthetic is is just patches of hair. I mean, it could have been. They've like, done he could on, be hairless like me on on his chest just to give off the, the most uh, realistic uh, hairless hair hairy filled chest. And but if but be, y'all come see me see us at Frankencon from the neck up. I'm all hair. I'm just <laughs> that's where all my see. I never went bald because, but I have no leg hair. But I do love the fact that everywhere else but his legs is monkey hairy. So, in the, in the, in this dream, 
Yes. <laughs> you have uh, Thornton making a little cameo, and he's being chased by a an army of, like, candy striper monkey women. Just straight up monkey mask, doesn't match. Yeah. yeah, and he has the moment where, like, he comes just enough into frame to where you can tell he's smiling, and then he like, yeah, and then, then he, he dro- like, then he drops right. it because it's like there's a bunch of women, and of yeah. course he gets a little pervy. And we're going to talk about yeah, his, his his uh, his wild times dalliances with women, with women and um, the uh, yeah the the unforeseen uh, consequences of maybe some of his more uh, horrible actions. But uh, Douglas awakes. It's now been a month. And the first thing he's, you know, they have that, that exchange and Douglas, uh, basically says like, Oh, it's been a month. I haven't had any, still haven't had any water. Yeah, it's like water. No, he said something about water and then he's like, water, 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 water. Yeah. All these things. And he's like, I still haven't had a drink of water. Yeah. And then he's like, Oh, it's the water. But I love how, uh, Thornton. He's like, I need a sip of water, but he makes it like a mixed fucking drink. <laughs> like takes and, a shot of water as ice and eats seltzer water. It's the same process when he made the coffee, but it's but it's drug out just a little further, and he puts the little you know the, the little umbrella on in a there. Drink. Oh, he puts the the, yeah. the ice cubes like you would have at a liquor set. Yeah, it's it, it's great, and I had a sip of the water. That's that, why. That moment where he, they have to cut away just so he can say, if it wasn't clear, the why I didn't become a monkey man is because I only had a sip. In writing, in like traditional, like straight forward good writing is you have the principle of show, show not, don't tell. Show don't tell. This, this show. It's all tell. Is all, is all tell, tell. Is all tell, but in like a way that services the, the story in a, to point out how bad it is. As we'll get to when he goes to the mirror and water and mirror storage unit. Oh my god. Okay, so now realizing that, uh, Dark Place has been overrun. With machine gun toting, World War II uniform wearing monkey men. Basically the, the gorillas in um, the original Planet of the Apes, but with way yes. worse makeup. He realizes, like, okay, the water, the water, the water. This is what's causing it. He he goes to the storage area, which is it's a an area we've already seen in Dark Place. They they basically just redressed the basement set, and they even left certain things in place. So it's obvious it's the same place, but. They're, they're using optical effect, or optical effects, but the, the, the idea of an optical effect where they're putting mirrors to make the, yes. the, the rows look like they go on forever. And it's him coming around these, uh, I don't know what you call them, like, just like shelves, shelves. where they're, you know, full of these boxes that I just have say water and with a picture of like a water jug. Yeah, like print out jug. on them <laughs> because they couldn't afford actual water jugs. Um, or they didn't want you to think they yes. could afford them. Um, either way, the the joke lands. But he goes around the corner, and you have like three mirrors, kind of catty corner yeah, to one another, going around a curve. And then you see the reflection of well, on not, camera. Not only is it a cameraman, but just to add to the fact, just to, to, to visually sh- hammer home the point that it's a cameraman, even though it is like a, super antiquated by that point. Yes. It is like the 1920s idea of what oh, a yeah. an auteur. Um, 
uh, filmmaker would have. He's got, you know, the spat pants and the, the, uh, the hat. The hat. I don't know what we call it. Like the, the English cap. Yes. So dumb. But, but great but, throwing. But you great. only see it for like a second, but it's, it's like a second and a half. It's long enough for you to definitely notice it. Yeah, did, what, did I see that kind of yeah. thing? Only for Douglas to discover that our, our second big cameo of this episode, we have Noel Fielding, who, uh, you may know him as Vince Noir, from the Mighty uh, Boosh. Uh, or from the British Baking, Great British Bake Off, or whatever, all, some British show. All, all, they also the, uh, the, the goth uh, that they find in the uh, computer room in the yeah, IT crowd. That's right. Um, but he's pissing in the water uh, he's supply. He's matriculating, which means urinating. Into, like, he, Garth Marenghi keeps using, as, uh, Daglas keeps using big words and then explaining them. Yes. On my erstwhile, which means former best friend. <laughs> He's pissing green into the jugs as, uh. As Sanchez is like. Loaded, waving his fingers in it, just happy as a. Just, just to get shit. the, just to get the piss particles, you know, on him. It's good stuff. Um, to the point you were making about him being redundant, comedy. Comedy works when you, like, are overly redundant. Oh, yeah, it's the like, show. He's showing what... He's, he, he's telling on his own tale. He's, he's like... It's, it's almost like he's trying to reassure himself that what he's writing is smart, but he's scared that people who are hearing it won't realize how smart it is, so he has there, to double yes. explain it. I love that. Gold. So then we get our, our monkey... Uh, oh, it looks more like a Bigfoot. Honestly. Well, it is a really bad costume. It's a really bad. But they intentionally show it. He's running off the seam of the zipper. It's like lit so you can see it. They, they go off on their, uh, their bicycles. The MX bicycle race. And they go through the woods and just a bunch of nondescript areas. Great use of stuntmen. The stuntmen are great. The stuntmen are great. There, there's one shot where basically like the camera is on a flat surface in the, but they're like the area it's shooting, there's sort of a dip and they use that as the means for like the stuntman to go down and Douglas to come back up. And then there is a, like a child's jungle gym at like a, it's an adult, uh, or or like a basic train, like a basic train or a rope swing or like the type of thing that you would see at like a, like a park. Yeah. It's like a playground, but a a recreational park area, but with a sick bike jump too. Obviously. (laughs) But, um, you get a couple of obstacle courses, what the word obstacle course. Yes. Which obviously the the monkey man would have the benefit on, and you get a great uh, joke where you're seeing the the physical prowess of Douglas to keep up with this monkey man, where it's the, you know the bars you like swing on with your hands, and it's him literally like just cut from like the Horse like chest like chest up. up, but he's obviously walking on something, and then that's so funny, and. This ends with him tackling the monkey into a pile of boxes of water as in that were just like the storeroom. They still had the water label. Why they're out there in the middle of nowhere, not explained, and... The gates of hell were opened and evil got out. That's that's true. Well, they actually do explain everything. And this is another one of the moments where they, they took a perceived negative of what it would be the actual show and turn it into a huge positive. They 
it's it is a scene comprised of ninety nine percent ADR where all you have is establishing shots of like the fern in the corner or like the lamp and and well, it's led into really nice because it cuts back to them all in the office. Daglas looking out the window, or, or maybe Dan- Thornton looking out the window, and they're talking normally, and then Liz at double speed vocals yeah. asks the question to Daglas, <laughs> and then it goes on to a complete ADR to establishing shots of props in the room. Yeah, it bo- it bookends with like actual in in scene dialogue talking, yeah. and but uh, it again experiment where a guy found if you <laughs> attack the some urine of. Something at the speed of light pass through the balls of a monkey or a orangutan, then it would, it's fucking, they great come up with this huge explanation that you can see they didn't even have when they shot their other hand. Well, that's how it went. You know, whether, whether that's the case or they simply just didn't have time to shoot it. Well, I think that they're implying that, yeah. you know. Either, either way, it right. works because they're incompetent filmmakers and they're just, they've got to get the, this, I think this joke works in a bunch of different ways, and you can look at it different ways. But in the, the fact that, like, these shows always run short, you can look at it that maybe, like, this is one of those where, like, they took too much time on ancillary things, and, like, the thing that everybody wants to know, they just rush through I'm that. And, like, quick. well, we don't even need, we'll just shoot, you know, the corner of the room, you know, whatever. Either way, it's still funny. But the question really ultimately comes to is, after everything we've talked about, is this as bad as you thought it was? Uh, it was uh, bad was uh, the probably the wrong. I didn't think it was as good well, now, as it turned out to be. None of these episodes are bad, no, no, but it still might is, be my least. Honestly, is this your right least now, favorite? I think I, honestly, I think I enjoyed this more than Skipper the Anchor. I'm going to agree with you. I'm, I'm going to give this uh, out, of, out of ten. What do you get? Out of ten, eight point two. I'm going one above. I'm, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it, I think 8.1 is probably, probably right, but just for the sake of, uh, uh, sticking it to the people at IMDb, I'll go 8.2 with you. Yeah, we're not going on Google user ratings, cause I'd be like, they probably got it right, 100%. <laughs> Alright, uh, Rand Army, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about episode 5, so stay tuned. Ooh. Hi everybody, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, here to tell you about some genuine, officially licensed merchandise from our good friends at Video Nasties. The Video Nasties, they offer t-shirt, pins, and hats from some of your favorite cult classic horror films like Pieces, Street Trash, and even Luke Shaw Fulci's The Beyond. Oh, and there's so much more. So what are you waiting for? Go now to www.videonasties.com. That's www.videonasties.com. The prices are low, but the quality is high, and that's a boner guarantee. But if you don't buy something, then fuck you. Alright, welcome. 
Welcome back, Rant Army. It's time for another check-in with Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. So let's discuss Episode 5, Scotch Mist. Oh, still great. <laughs> mon. Mon. I know mon means man. I don't think oh means anything. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was released Thursday, February 26, 2004. What do you think the IMDb rating is? It better be 8.5 at least. It's 8.0 out of 10. Whores. I think, I think there's a lot of butthurt Scotch people out there. It's super racist <laughs> against the Scottish, but they're white people, so <laughs> fuck them. All right. If you'd be so kind, read the synopsis for Scotch Mist. Scotch Mist. A strange mist descends on dark place which within the murderous spirits of Scottish Highlanders prey upon the hospital staff. Oh, boy. Fucking love this episode. And, yes, I hate to... Okay, since it is, like, a, a harmless racism, the racism is what really kicks it over the top makes it hilarious. I... The, a lot of this kind of reminds me in Austin Powers' gold member... Yes, they're making fun of the Dutch. Well, but specifically, uh, you have Michael Caine's character who says, you know... Two things I can't stand. Intolerant people and the Dutch. Exactly. So, who hates the Dutch? I mean, I'm sure there's people who do, but it's it's not it's not this like uh, systemic common, hatred yeah. kind of thing. So it's kind of a funny thing to embrace and just be silly. Um, I got a great quote, and this sort of uh, sums up the the mindset of the episode. Garth Marenghi says, "I am not a racist. You might be. You look like a dropout. <laughs> He's not prejudice. The quote is prejudice. I'm not prejudice." You might be prejudiced, because he's talking about you look like a dropout, which is, that's prejudice, not racism. Oh, well, all I'm the sorry. All the, all the same. The point remains. Yes, it's it, hilarious. It, it's a great quote. You look like a dropout. So, let's, let's just break this episode down. Um, it starts with the most obvious of John Carpenter's Halloween theme ripoffs. Yes. And we also get a POV shot, you know, very reminiscent of the beginning of Halloween, where we're going around Dark Place. And it's ripping off his movie, The Fog. Oh my god. It, it I hadn't really thought is. about that. It, it, the basic plot. This is the best John Carpenter uh, product never made by him. So, uh, suck it, The Void. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch Mist is taken number one. Um, but we get this awesome montage where it's going around and it's showing the the different uh Goings on. the the routines of people uh, that night uh, as the scotch mist <laughs> descends on dark place. So we've got uh, Liz doing her hair with a hair dryer right in just the the break room and combing her very obvious wig. It's funny. But the way the shot is framed Makes it even funnier because the camera pulls out and you have fucking Sanchez in the corner listening to a Walkman and doing the most stereotypical side to side white one step dance, white man dance. We had a good laugh about that. It it pans over and then you see Douglas, he's on the roof playing a saxophone, but it's very obviously Uh, a, the, the tune he's playing is very obviously a synth thing. Synth. Um, Sacks. There we go. And the last, and I think my favorite <laughs> yeah. of the bunch, you have Thornton Reed at his desk writing a memo, and it's 
the most brilliant piece of I don't, you know, like actors in, that don't know what to do with their hands. Exactly. That's my, I was getting yeah. ready to make that point in Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. And he keeps putting them up and they keep putting them down. That's this moment where he does not know what to do because he's not being, he's yeah. not being, number one, he's not an actor. And number two, he's not being given the direction that, you know, that yeah. Garth Marenghi should be giving him because Garth Marenghi, this like is a office stuff. He's, he's not a very talented person. I think by five episodes in, we can yes, almost we say, unequivocally say that. say that. So, um, <laughs> as this is going on, uh, we have a, a person who is, Five minutes away from surgery, who has coerced his nurse into going outside to have some some physical interaction in the uh, coital Yeah, yeah they're already messing around in the hospital. Oh, baby, I'm very horny. <laughs> he must be spitting mad gang because he's like, let's continue this outside. She's like, your surgery's in five minutes. <laughs> oh, come on, you'll get into on, it once on. we're outside. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so great. Because they're obviously not just ADR. These are different, like they're and they're shot in they're shot in silhouette, and the ADR is going on as they're coming from the silhouette of like the sheet into actual frame, yes. and the dialogue does not match whatsoever. A good bit of time they're not even talking that there's dialogue most, being ADR. Most of the time, yeah, uh, when they're on screen, they go outside and um, he's like, I really. The first of the episodes that really takes like a, like the set and outside, apparently it's on a moor, even though when you're on the, the roof, you see a cityscape. It's surrounded by a moor. Yeah. Wrong, wrongford and the moor. They're, they're, they're all, you know, just go with it. <laughs> yeah. Hell, hell is open. It's like a couple hundred yards or more than it's right into the city. But I love how artificial it looks oh, outside. Yeah. Every, it's, it's very, very Set deck. It's almost like an episode of 1960 Star Trek. Yes. It has that very artificial right. feel to it. And, it, found and they couldn't, they couldn't afford to shoot at Bronson Canyon. So there's like, okay, well, we got a, we got a set, you know, we built on a sound stage and, and we've got a bunch of plastic ferns. We found out later that the, po- that the mist was poison when it killed two techies. <laughs> but you know, at least it killed two. It's the same hammer in the belt. That'll just be enough. Honestly, you can't even tell the difference. I love how cold, um, <laughs> Uh, Dean Lerner is about, uh, they've, they've killed, they killed a cat in the first episode <laughs> yeah. and they, uh, he punched a fucking child. Um, he more than likely had, um, Madeline Wool killed or killed her himself and dumped her body. Well, he does say he wished it didn't happen on this one. This is the only one he re- expresses regret. That and the cat. You know why? Because they're men, and they and they benefited his business. That, that's yes. he's all business, all business, all the time. So we we come to find out, uh, unfortunately, uh, that the Scotch Mist has taken the lives of these these lovers who uh, only wanted to get down. This guy probably had a disease he couldn't be cured from to begin with, so he didn't, he didn't give a shit. that's why the nurse was so down. Yeah, like, give but him either, either way, they it was the last bone to be boned, and Scotch Mist took them and left their corpses um, painted with the stripes of yeah, a, like a, a um, kilt. Shit, I can't think of the name now. Fuck, the design, specific designs of kilts. But yeah, and then uh, a big pile of dried oatmeal because I'm American and won't say porridge. porridge. <laughs> yeah, a big pile I, of porridge. Just that, all the stereotypes. The investigative 
moment where Douglas is putting two and two together and what's going on, and he sticks his finger in the porridge and he rubs his own gums like fucking cocaine. That's so funny. So, so funny. Um, but he, he has the revelation. It's like scotch mist. Yeah. No, she also finds it on the computer. Oh, oh, with the, with the like scene that. where her fingers... Her eyeballs are above the computer, so the ADR, <laughs> and then the typing sound effect is she's barely grazing. Because she doesn't want to screw her fingernails up. Yeah, Scotch Mist. It's uh, an evil apparition of Scottish warriors and Mist. This is my pronoun. <laughs> Fucking gold, man. Great. The whole episode. It's it's very good. But, like, formulaic, we're starting to see, like, even though the, some of these episodes subvert some of the stuff, there's sort of, like, a general structure to these episodes where you yeah. have your obstacle... They convene in Thornton's office or in the break room, and, and they and they kind of cultivate like, what are we going to do? So the the plan of attack uh, comes specifically because Liz has a a vision that Jim, one of the twins, yes. uh, is out in the mist, and but Sanchez. She's having a, a a vision while he's taking a karate stand. Yes, and it's it's little touches like that, man. We've so and the great everything thing, makes him break out the karate. Stance. He's done the karate stance in almost every episode, if not every episode. There's a, he's in a moment of danger, but he's he's done no karate, no karate, ever. no karate. But Liz goes into this, you know, this mental space where she's seeing what's going on. Jim is out in the Scotch mist. And, you know, they value Jim because, yes. um, they need to tell him things sometimes that he'll walk into frame and then we'll tell somebody we'll, else information. Yeah. He's, he's the gopher <laughs> of, he's, he's a necessary chain in the, uh, storytelling of yes. this show. So they, they go out to, to get him. But before they do, to get Liz out of her, uh, psychic head, headspace, Dag just fucking just... square in the jaw. <laughs> So thanks. funny, and she thanks him. Let's 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 like break it down of all the politically incorrect that this show has done, but done in a way that is completely acceptable. You have children <laughs> getting punched. Yes. You have eyeball rape, rape of any kind, really. Um, sexism. In, I mean, it's from balls to episode, the wall yes. in every episode. Um, domestic violence. God. Um, uh, they give a lobotomy to a woman. So, like, they, they do all these things and you, you, you want them to do more. I you want it. them to do more because it's just punch stupid. Her in every episode is so funny. I thought you were going to say you punch her in every orifice. <laughs> no. That's how, that's how they killed her. <laughs> oh, God. That's why she's, if she even got a burial. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> But, uh, no, this episode is still, like, God, after that, because they go outside in neon exercise headbands, not to get separated with little tiny hand fans, with apparently cheap, like, second-hand, uh, dollar brand batteries. Bulk, bulk batteries. Bulk batteries. If you want to live like a cheap asshole, you're going to get the shit in. When I think about this episode, it's the first thing I think about, the battery discussion. Because what if they're warped? What if they're stolen? It's so, it's so unnecessary. It does not add anything to the plot. It takes it. It doesn't like, it doesn't, uh, imbue you with a new, uh, understanding of the characters. It's just an aside. 
that is so stupid that you can't help but find it funny because you'd think that like their dialogue right then would be like, Oh shit, you know, Jim, our buddy, we've got to do something. No, I'm going to give you the history of why this type of battery is important and why you should use quality batteries and shit batteries are a waste of your money and will, you know, inevitably cause your demise. Yes. And then two other people have a callback conversation to that behind his back. Like, talking about him, it's fucking gold. It is gold, and it's, you can see it in the, in the meta commentary of the, the way that the show is being told. Like, if this were a legit show, and they just needed time to fill. Oh, yeah. That makes perfect sense. But in the subversion of telling this story in a bad but good way, that just is the icing on top of the already oh, delicious yeah. Scottish cake. I don't know if Scottish people have cakes. I'm sure they have to have some cake. They have shortbread. I don't like shortbread. We'll find out later. I don't like shortbread. You don't have to. I'm just saying that's what they have. And you know what? That's that's what would uh, get me killed in this episode. Exactly. Well, they find the guy uh, out there. He's he's some, like ADR completely with no <laughs> mouse movie. He's somehow still alive somehow. <laughs> I love that because he's convulsing. He's got the tartan. Pattern there you on go. His there you face. go. I knew I'd come to it, and then they see the Scottish warriors. The way I want, I say something actually positive about this episode, and I don't know if it, it was their intention to make this like genuinely effective, or if they're trying to to make it look like they're like pieces of the film missing or something. But there's like a shutter effect to them, like they're oh, like, yeah. and. That's genuinely effective. I like, think it's like meant to be their special effect, and it is effective. But I don't think when they they thought of it, they thought that it would look cheap, but it still looks kind of good and creepy because it, like, it it has sort of a like a Babadook kind of yeah. quality to it. I I, I, regu- I really dug that. And even though like they're they're not physically scary whatsoever, red headed Scotsman. But there are some elements to this this whole thing that I find genuinely unnerving. There's one of them that I don't know what hallucinogenics or medication his his pupils are super dilated. Oh. I've done a lot of hallucinogens and that's usually what happens <laughs> on the good ones. And I, the, especially in the showdown that comes later, they because they do the eyeball thing. You said genuinely that, upset. That you. that that I'm not joking. There's something that's gingers. Oh, it is. Eyes are the windows to the soul, and gingers have no soul, and that's why you're upset by it. You you now Amelia now now on the head, but yeah, those insert shots. Which are, they're supposed to build tension. Yeah. That's that's the purpose of them, and they go on too long, which that's the joke. Yes, but. It is funny, but it's like an uneasy laughter for me because it genuinely just—I don't know—it just puts me in like a like off kilter headspace. Having flashbacks of the scary scenes from the fog. There's I subconsciously tickle your brain. Like there's, this is reminding me. There's not enough uh, pirate ghosts in well, uh, Scotch not, Mist, but that, the swords—it's subconsciously making you remember how you felt watching the fog. Yeah, and it's it's superimposing. I think you've actually cracked, you've cracked something about this episode that I never even thought about. Like, there, there really is some, like, weird. It's a blatant yeah. ripoff of the fog. Yeah. Instead of, like. But I, uh, I, I got, I get that, but I hadn't put together until, like, just when we started talking about yeah. this, the John Carpenter connections a, yeah, like said, of this, of this episode. Wow. Well, this is number one. This is number one forever, forevermore. 
So our our guys they they kind of regroup. They they come to uh, an outbuilding. Yeah, it's an outbuilding shed on hospital property. <sighs> Douglas tells them the 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 sanitized version of of why he's racist against the Scotch, and basically, I mean, it's a lot of. <laughs> He got, his plane got grounded when he's on his way to Norway and to Glasgow, and he went clubbing instead of going to a B&B, and like the horror, like the sounds of yelling and crying, you I've seen him huddle at bus stations before, but this is, I'm surrounded, the sound of a 16-year-old mother of three, drunkenly puking in the gutter while her wee baron gnaws, toothlessly gnaws on a potato cake and all this horrible shit. Then he went to go get a cheeseburger. That's the, oh, that's so later. This, that's is, later. La- this yeah. is later on, but we'll, we'll go What ahead. a horror show that Scotland was. Essentially, like, he... That was, even though, like, the in the structure of the story he thinks he's writing, he's told them the, 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 the facade version... Part. But but then he gets real with them a little well, later on because then they they do manage the missed retreats and they get the other guy to the hospital and he's like I'll run interference and he's attacked by bagpipes that take his trousers <laughs> his trousers <laughs> don't wear pants and dye his hair red and uh, but my favorite thing is when they're be- right before he comes back in they're like. Why is it so far south? And he goes, I'll tell you. He comes out, I'll tell you why. They're here to kill the queen. They're jealous of our way of life. They want what we have. The most racist shit ever. It's, it's hilarious. That joke was funnier um, when when Queen Elizabeth was still alive. Now she's um, didn't in hell. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the royal family, so they can all fuck themselves. Yeah. Fuck you, 76-year-old Prince, or still, oh, King Charles, you're still Prince Charles in my eyes. Yeah, You'll never be king. There's only one prince, and he and he's dead, too. He's dead, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Well, he does finally tell the story. He tells his story. Oh, no, there's a running gag we missed where the, the guys gave out uh the... What's his fucking name? Dean Lerner's character's name. Thornton's phone number as a massage parlor. Yeah, and he's being crank called, they, obscene phone called. They got a, a message, and he that's when he kicks in with the ginger. He's like, play that back, slow it down 26%, yeah. and it's awk, <laughs> kill Douglas, man. That's where you get the joke from saying, I know man means man, but I don't think awk means anything. So at this point, he realizes what's going on. He realizes that they're there, they are there for, for him. So he has to come clean and he tells them <laughs> the horrific account of his stay in, um, in Scotland. He goes to, to get a fish shop. At a, fish to, shop. And, he, and he wants a cheeseburger. And I made it, it could happen to anybody. I like it before you don't even explains be, what Don't beat yourself up it about it. happen to anybody. <laughs> So he gets this cheeseburger, and I have no idea to what reference this is. It's just funny in of itself. I don't, I don't know if there's like a specialized cheeseburger that the Scots have. Just deep fried their red meat up in Scotland. So it's deep fried, and it was served in a tissue, which he, which he, which he took uh, offense to. And then he starts basically like saying racist things to them and calling them fat and, um, you know, pasty fish monsters. He, he tells this like really, really intensely that this, this is your Emmy moment. Yes. And there's a bit of silence. And then you have 
like the framing, uh, Sanchez is sort of over his shoulder and Sanchez says something to the effect of like, my aunt li- lives in Scotland. She quite likes it. She's wrong. <laughs> She's wrong. <laughs> I love it. Showing the shortcomings of Douglas's writing, yet again, to this point, his stance has been anti-Scottish. And in the span of two minutes, he has completely re- redempt himself uh, yeah, in their eyes. And, like, there's no character growth with him whatsoever. He doesn't do anything to atone aside from the fact that um, Thornton him, gives him yeah, shortbread. It's not even his. It's like, take this. Oh, I know there's a great joke before that where Sanchez whips out a switchblade, <laughs> opens it, take my fit knock. He puts it in his chest pocket, still blade out. <laughs> What does, oh, and then, uh, the, the Liz. Thought, Liz gives him brass knuckles. Be careful. They were my mother's. And then he's like, hands him the shortbread. He's like, what's this? Something you might find useful later. And he goes out. He's like, put on some trousers. He's like, no, I have to do it like this. And, and we end up getting our, uh, something that's been in almost every episode where he, you know, he pulls his shirt open. Basically, he offers them the shortbread. It, this is like the first step of like bridging the gap, and he offers his life to them. I'll give you my life. You've acted with dignity, but before that is the four-way stare down that you like said it. genuinely makes. But it's played to a knockoff Sergio Leone spaghetti western music done in bagpipes. Done with bagpipes. That is fucking hilarious, but. Oh, you've acted with dignity, like a true Highlander. And they're subtitling all the Scots persons dialogue. It's in parentheses, Scottish person. Yeah, when when he says Highlander, that's so funny. so fucking great. But he he rips his shirt open. He offers his his life. They deem him worthy. And that's sort of, you know. They go back to the rest. And he's like, what about the hair? Like, it'll grow out. (laughs) Which there's a great fuck up shot, you know, when they're they're all laughing about it later that um they're gonna go do oh do something and he's going to the roof. Still with ginger hair, but when he gets on the roof he's playing the airwolf theme. Yeah, with the bagpipe. Bagpipe and his hair is now fully brown again. Well you know what? The it's air, fucking the, great. Everything's Jan, perfect. Jan Michael Vincent and the airwolf theme will well if you're if you got gray in your beard It'll put the color back in it. it if will. you're balding, you'll spurt uh, hair. If you never had hair on your nuggets, you'll have you you'll have fucking hedgehogs down there. Don't let a kid watch that. <laughs> exactly. That's what Airwolf did to my generation. <laughs> That's why we're the best generation. Fuck the greatest generation. Yeah. The Airwolf generation. We're the coolest generation. <laughs> okay. It's so fucking good. So. I think you've made it pretty clear this is probably your favorite episode. It's my favorite, but it's not going to be my highest rated. I, I I don't know that I would say this is my favorite. I think I'm still going to be kind of between number one or number two, but this uh, is a uh, this is a, a for me this is like a nine point five. It's it because it doesn't as perfectly encapsulate the entire vibe of the show as the first one does. But humor pound for pound humor rate. I have a lot of Scott of a lot of Scottish ancestry on my mom's side. So it's extra funny to me. And the shit just like punching fucking lit. Like dick, not a smack, not a shake. Just fucking rearing back and punching that. <laughs> so fucking over the top I, funny. I am also going to give this episode a 9.5. It's <sighs> pound for pound. It, it may be the, the funniest episode 
Um, or at least a, a rival to episode yes, it one. Can hang with episode one. But, uh, I, I still, I'd probably put it number three of the, of the six episodes. But, but then again, I mean, with six episodes this good, yeah, that's not a bad good. placement. Yeah, there's no. And speaking of six episodes, um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the final episode of Dark Place. So stay tuned. Hey, assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your blood. Sell your children. Go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Would you like a t-shirt? A mug or a sticker to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, all you gotta do is go to RantArmy.com. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Alright, Rant Army, this is it. The final episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And what a one to leave the series on. I'm still just choked up. It's so tragic. So let's talk about episode six, (laughs) The Creeping Moss from the Shores of Shuggath. Okay, released Thursday, March 4th, 2004. What do you think the IMDb rating for this episode is? 7.9. 9. 8.1. Oh. So it's all hovered, like... The the only episode below an 8 is Skipper the Eye Child, and... They just the pixelated penis was too much. They can't handle nudity and the human body and all its glory. All those, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So if you'd be so kind, let's read the synopsis for our final episode. <clears throat> Sanchez falls in love with a beautiful female patient who is slowly turning into cosmic broccoli. I'm chopping broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of every time I see it. Okay, before we get into like the main thrust of the plot, just the interest. One of my favorite books he's read. He's starting a sex scene. He removed her shoes and underwear with one quick movement because he's reading his book Jugger. <laughs> and then they had sex in all the positions. Uh, what was it? Doggy style? On, on top, on doggy, top, and, and, reg- and regular. regular. I fucking loved it, and then and then he was eaten by a hellhound. Like as a throwaway line, I, I actually have um, the the what he says uh, following that. Let me one second to find it here in my notes, um, or maybe actually I don't. It's fine. It's all good. We can still. I do, I don't have it. Um, what I do have, um, and I want to uh, see if you knew this is actually a little bit of trivia. Do you happen to know? What a Shuggath is. I assume they were kind of ripping off like an HP Lovecraft. Like. You are right. A Shuggath okay. is a black amoeba-esque creature created by HP Lovecraft, which was first mentioned in the horror <clears throat> novel At the Mountains of Madness. So, so it had the, it had the Lovecraft vibe and I've read all of Lovecraft, so I'm sure it was now by his, by his, he, he, he being um, Garth Marenghi said in a previous episode that he has no problem stealing uh, st- 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 yeah. out of copyright. So, domain. well, there you go. Yep. Um, th- this is um, 
kind of an interesting episode that it uh, visually has a lot of elements that we saw in the previous episode. And so they reference they they do almost like he's running out of ideas. Yeah, this is the final episode. It's like half of the main plot is kind of ripped off from the same central idea of a mist or fog. I do want to talk about, though, we haven't mentioned at all the intro to this show. Like, oh, yeah, please do. intros, you know, we'll have Garth Marenghi currently talking, but when the show within a show intro, it really, most people haven't seen it. It was not around long in the 80s. It was Ray Bradbury Theater, an author at the typewriter, typing away, and then kind of goes in the cutouts. It just, I love the vibe. But then it gets into that the, the Dark Place Hospital stuff or like, uh, Daglas running with the baby, jumping away from an exploding that, baby. That is the only shot in the opening That's credits. filmed for the opening credits. Exactly. So everything Every, else is pulled out. Yeah, it's, it's from actual episodes. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the, the, we watched all six episodes today and then we would turn around and record yeah. about them. And not a single time did we Skip the credits. No, because it's it's fantastic. I love it. Dark place, dark, dark place, dark place. I love the shit. That every damn that's so good. Yeah, it's one of those things where like the the music is so. I wouldn't say that it's good in the sense of like this is something I would want to listen to. It gets you in the vibe of the show, but it it is perfectly suited for the tone yes. and the show. It is. You know, it's introducing you to different shows, but it's the same reason I don't skip the intro music to uh, any of the Stranger Things episodes. I I I never do. I just always let it. That is a that is a better composition than the. Oh, that's way better, but it it puts me in the vibe of the show. I I get what you're saying. Now, I I did find that quote I was talking about. All right, with this show, I wanted people to laugh and cry and shit themselves themselves. all at the same time. I also like in that opening intro, he's like, he also writes westerns and erotica the same rest of other genres of literature. <laughs> oh man. Um, he, the quote, there was another quote and I, I sadly didn't write it down, but we're basically, um, he says something as to the effect that this is his version of Romeo and Juliet. He loves the great tragedies. Less whiny though. Yeah, yeah a little bit less whiny. But um he when he's reading out like the great um the great tragedies, he cites Superman 2 as one <laughs> of them. That's just a funny line. So this episode in a nutshell is there is a atmospheric uh, condition that is happening because of an aborted Alien, alien invasion. Alien, but you don't find that out to the end of the episode. And then, they say right off the bat. Yeah. So you, you know that. And we have a, we have a woman who has come in for a toe shortening. I, I think I may actually, do I have Another that? Quote. I do. Basically, cause it was long, like a finger. <laughs> uh, yes. Apparently she was in for a routine operation to get her toe shortened, which was really long like a finger. finger. The next thing she knew, this happened. All in all, you could really say she's a little off color. Now, the, yeah. uh, Sanchez shouts, you shut your mouth, Liz. Douglas says, no, you shut your mouth, Sanchez. That was funny. funny. Which is a, that's a little, yes. a, uh, continuing thing they have through that, this episode where someone will say something and, and like, that was shit down and yeah. no, it was funny. 
Look, I like it. They cut away to them and then cut back, and immediately Liz has the running mascara teardrop face. It's so good. Um, Douglas continues. Look, if we lose our sense of humor in this place, we might as well all go and kill ourselves. <laughs> Dean Leonard says, Dag's right. After all, the reason I got into medicine in the first place was for the laughs, that and the pussy, and all that. that dried up ten years ago, if you pardon the expression. Oh, fucking that, gold. That, that line and the way he says pussy. <laughs> pussy. Pussy. So fucking funny. So... Oh wait! Before the the inciting incident, she's he's being she's being taken by a porter, I guess to surgery, and he stops underneath an air vent, pouring green mist out. And they even make a point to say that that is literally the only way. The you, only way you could get it is if you were stopped right by, or sex, or or you have physical. But the porter's us. like, oh, nature calls. So he runs to the bathroom. This is one of the, my favorite jokes of the episode. He comes out and screams, "Oh my god!" And she's like, "What?" I forgot to flush. The, his, his, the way he reacts to it is so good. And yet again, it's just, it's the framing of the shot and the way that it pulls back and the timing is just, everything Perfect. is like medical precision comedy. Because when he comes out and there's something wrong, he runs to the phone. Give me Rick Douglas right now. Yes, I'll hold. Perfect fucking timing. Yeah. And <laughs> so. Then we cut yes. to our core group, with the exception of uh, Dean Lerner's character, um, in in their quote-unquote car. Oh, yeah. And you have the internal monologue of, of Douglas, who is, like, pissed off because no one has thanked him for the ride. Yes. Thematically, this is the entire <laughs> point of this episode. And not to spoil anything, I'm sure by this point you've seen these episodes. If you haven't, stop right now and actually go watch them. But at the end of the episode, when Sanchez is thanking Douglas for saving his life, he also makes a point to then say, ah, and thank you, thank you and thank ride. you for that ride. Ah, don't mention it. It, it is, and, and I don't know if this is intentional or if I'm just reading too much into this. It is only until Sanchez is physically neutered can he... I, yeah. you give Douglas the respect yeah, he deserves. I think you're right. I'd like especially in this episode. Um you could tell that there there is a rivalry probably behind they set up actually it's something they only set up this episode because he when the drive he asks Liz what she's doing for dinner. She's like, Nothing, what do you ask me? Yeah. He's like, No, I'm just looking for recipe ideas. Well Douglas makes a point to say in a pre- previous episode he doesn't even find her physically attractive. Yeah, so I don't even... But I'm t- there is something more to this than just that. I think that there is there is an acting out on screen by things that are happening behind the screen. Possibly. Because, obviously, Sanchez is the more physically attractive. He's the guy in real life that would be slinging all the D to the ladies of the well, around round reference that he must be doing great, just not Liz not like him. Because if he spreads it half of, what's the town? Wrongford. Wrongford's going to be infected in, in two days. Exactly. But the the one woman he can't get is the one woman that Douglas doesn't want. And this is comes to a perfect head with a thing, ultimately I think what makes this one of the best episodes. And we have the One Track Lover music video. Yes. And it's all spelled out perfectly right here because you have to think this is Sanchez singing this. But these words were written by Rick Douglas. Yes. Bump, bump. Why won't she be mine? 
I wish I was more attractive <laughs> like Douglas. Douglas. This musical number so catchy. is, yet again, the, it's the genius of the musical aspect of Matt Berry. And we see him wake up in a sweet uh, gold chain and tidy, black, tight black. It, th- this, this is like a, a a music video that you would have seen. In the 80s. Yeah. I mean, shot for shot. He's you know, like walking around these weird, th- it's more like a musical or like a, uh, stage production screens of two houses, but you know, with like hanging walls and mirrors. He's yeah. watching them be lovers and he's so jealous. There, there is a quality to like, especially where, when he goes to the, what the, the bar, the bar where like the mannequins and stuff. And that reminded me so much of uh, body double, oh, the God, Brian De Palma yeah. movie. Um, so they're, they're trying to hide it to kind of, you know, Art, no, what's the word I'm looking at? Ape. Art Nouveau? Oh, uh, ape. ape. Kind of those, those aspects from, you know, those, those new, those new wave videos and, you know, like the early, like, like, I'm, a Rod Stewart, do you think I'm sexy music yeah. video, that kind of stuff. Dean Lerner has an amazing spoken word rap breakdown in the middle of the song. And I, within, this is one of those things that, like, I'm going to forgive it just simply because it's, it's brilliant. But is the joke, that in Sanchez's dream, everybody is competent and can be musical. Or is this the one thing that Thornton hey, Reed, think about it. Thornton Reed can actually, oh, I'm sorry, that Dean Lerner, Dean Lerner as Thornton do. Reed can do well and not be shot from a weird angle I or overdubbed. We just found out because this whole music video is shot competently. There's no bad acting. There's no intentional editing mistakes that I think. I think Matt Berry wanted to do a catchy music video. I mean, it's still kind of thematically funny. It, it, it is. And I don't think they thought about the meta, meta, meta of in a dream, or maybe the joke was it's a dream they can become. Or, or, and this is just entirely my head canon, or did Garth not have anything to do with the direction of this if this was going to be, oh, we have something that we can use as a promotional thing outside of the show, and this is going to be the thing that draws attention to us. This is, we're going to get our MTV crowd to check us out. Yes. Cause so, it's still funny if you know the show. It's no, it's no more schlocky than a, a slick music an video that actually made at the time. It's a competently made eighties music video with a very well done spoken word rap break down the middle by Dean Lerner. And I think she's cool. Like, like ice <laughs> coat to the touch. Is it very nice? Left to the touch. It's, it's great. It's a, it's a great earworm. The one thing that I, I am unhappy about, and it's simply because of time constraints, is they didn't do the entire song. If yes. you've never heard the entire version of One Track Lover, seek it out right now because it is legitimately good. And you get a, you get a couple of breakdowns in this song. You get the rap breakdown, but then you also get Douglas's breakdown where he's like, See the one track lover. Yes. Down a two-way line. And then you get all the sexual, um, innuendo parts at the end of the song, um, where it's like, you know, now he's knocking at both doors. All right. All right. It's fucking <laughs> so good. So, so good. I think you're right. I think they wanted to make something and it could have even been the guy who plays Garth Marenghi still did it, you know, and you know, Matt Berry might have put his, Two cents in musical talent, but they did something well to give promotional things to draw you in and didn't throw in the meta bad sitcom jokes or bad TV jokes to throw off potential listeners and watchers. I, I think that's the ultimate reason. I think you're right. Either, either way, 
the it's fucking the, great. The music video in of itself is something I, I'm not exaggerating. I've probably seen this a thousand times. It's just one of those things that'll pop in my head. I'm like I have to look it on yeah. YouTube right now. And I've showed it to so many people, and they're like, what the fuck is this? And yes. I'm like, okay, now wow. let's go watch episode one of this show. I've, I've introduced so many people to this show, and I'm sad to say that, you know, it's sort of a 60-40 split, and like, who gets it, and who's just like, this Brent is... Brent hates it. You know, I don't know that I've ever shown Brent this. I don't this. think we should even bother. I love him to death and take a bullet for him, but... We just don't, we're not simpatico on comedy. No, he's not going to listen to this, so fuck you, Brent. Yeah, Brent, you piece of shit. <laughs> Love you. Okay, so Sanchez wakes up yes. from the music video. and Bitter as hell, sad, depressed. And one of, the thing, one of the things he's brought up prior to the music video in their discussion of being driven around and trying to get the attention of Liz is that he's you tell him basically what he does for dinner, like... Poached egg in soup with a, with a ham and pork pie and a pork, pork, sausage pork, roll. pork pie sausage roll. And he meets this broccoli woman who's, you know, starting to sprout. And but it's it, just right now on her fingers and yeah, her skin tones are green. She's, she's, she's still hot. Even with the fucking broccoli, she's pretty fucking yeah. attractive. W- worthy of the, uh, the dicking of, of Dr. Dick. Sanchez. So. He decides to basically throw himself into his, his work, which consequently will be his undoing. Yes. Um, cause he, he romantically cooks her, a, a, some soup. Poached egg in soup. You have to, egg in soup and pork pie. And he, he offers to cut the pork pie for her, for her. And she, she is so fucking She's damp, damp, sprung a leak wet from this. That she's like, I need you inside of me right she now. Spills soup on her intentionally, and he's like, Let me go get a nurse to help you out of that. I'd be much more comfortable with you. And then after they do it, that have you ever done this before? Once or twice, but those patients were dying, and it was their dying wish. You're different. I fucking die. Oh fuck! And unfortunately, um, in their intervening uh, intervening time. Uh, Douglas has taken the, the some plan. of the sample and he's, you know, figuring out what's, what's up with this. And unfortunately, uh, through the, you know, one of two means of it spreading there, they believe, you know, we'll say left right under a vent. Yeah. Or, or sex. sex, which basically, uh, all conditions have been covered. So now they're, they're left into the situation. Well, how do we deal with Sanchez in this? And for the first time after five long episodes of being cock teased with it, we finally get some fucking karate. Yes. However, yeah, they had, they go to the hospital bar and Douglas is trying to think about how to tell his buddy that the chick he likes is dying. So his first response is like, I just saw Linda. I think her name is Linda or yeah. something. Uh, she said to say she doesn't love you and forget you ever met her. And he's like, that's a damn lie. It just make it. But they, they start swinging, but there is finally very badly, very poorly done karate. It's great. The bad ADR. Oh, you must went to, he must have went to the gym. Like when, when I love when, um, they're, they're fighting and tussling around and the way that they're interacting with their environment yes. uh, because it is, it's so, 
waving the bar stool well above his head to where he could like intend they can't fuck it, it up. It, it it reminded me there's a specific episode of The Incredible Hulk where uh, David Banner is working in a bar and of course there's a bar fight and there's a moment that was it's it's bad you know no fights in television on like yeah. te- television were great back then but it was particularly bad even for then and it, it I just had deja vu I was like oh my god this is just like that episode so as intentionally bad as it is it is somewhat still true to form yes. riding that line perfectly perfectly well we're missing a great joke before this though where Adaglas is in the lab looking at the microscope, calls up the gas expert of the hospital. He's like, oh, you're not okay. Yes, I'll hold. He's like, hey, vis-a-vis the mist uh, that happened last night. And he stops for a good three seconds. He's like, oh, I thought you'd keep talking. I thought you'd start talking. And then goes and gets it as the rest of the conversation. That's how he finds out only being left under an air vent. But I just love that beat. Where he's like, you think he's listening on the phone? He's like, I thought you'd start talking. There's a question for you. Now, do you think that they found these moments sometimes strictly in the editing of knowing when to cut? Or, or is, I think something like that's improv. I yeah. Think that's on the spot, you know, you goof around. I mean, I, I'm sure it's probably a combination of the two, but I mean, there's no way that you could you can't entire, write that in a script. Yeah, you can't entirely manufacture that either in post production or pre production. It's it's got to be just a perfect storm of circumstance. Yes, both, and I do. But, but yeah, he finds out they have the big bar fight. Dean Lerner or Thornton comes into the bar with a shotgun, shoots twice in the air with a cigarette machine behind him. But then again, I was raised in the 80s. There might have been cigarette machines it, in hospitals. It, I don't know about hospitals, but there definitely were cigarette machines back back oh, when we yeah. were kids. I, I remember being in truck stops. I have stops. been sent by my family before at like a big old family restaurant. My uncle gave me a handful of quarters and told me to go get a Marlboro's, and nobody stopped No, me. no, because nobody gave a shit back then. Nobody gave a shit back then. Oh, so so we, we learned... When, when, basically, they're, going to die. that she's going to die. And he has it on his penis. Sanchez. Yes. And it hard cuts to Dean Lerner telling us that unfortunately, the fight scene that ensues has been lost. To a drinking accident. To a drinking accident. And they were able to reconstruct it through, uh, Polaroid somebody's girlfriend took an available cast. And I loved it like, they don't, they don't get Sanchez. You say we have him. I think it's I'm pretty well. Uh, yeah, he says, "Don't touch it." Don't touch it. <laughs> and they have a big fight where they basically he's knocked out and hit by a nurse, and they cut off his penis. They cut it off. He's neutered, and then it's uh, Liz. Well, that's just one of my really <sighs> brave. That's one of my favorite meta jokes of the show. Is is because they actually address, like, lost footage because it's a lost show and then just cobble together some bullshit to try to get you to the next That's, thing. It's both economic in terms of the writing. Oh, yeah, and a great joke. But it's a great joke. And that's the, oh, wait, because it's, it's also the episode, or was that the last episode? Because they talk about it's an ambitious script because we filmed this in my yeah, garage. Yeah, that, that, that was the previous, that was the that, last that was previous episode. This. But... It's, it's, it's a, it's a layered type of comedy. But I also think that, like, when you, when you're doing anything, like even if this was like a legit production, necessity can be the mother of invention. And because this is a comedy, it's probably funnier 
that they, did, that they yeah. didn't do it, and they showed it in a creative way. Have you ever seen the documentary "The Kid Stays in the Picture"? Oh yeah, about uh, Robert Evans. About Robert Evans. That documentary is the way it's shot. It's there. There's no actual footage in it. It's all like transitions, creative transitions yes. from photographs. And you may love it, you may hate it, but that has always stuck out to me because no other documentary I've ever seen is is yeah. presented like that. And this scene, like some people may have preferred to see just a traditional fight scene, but in my for my money, I think this is the funnier outcome because it it's the emphasis is on the shittiness uh, rather than yes. the, the actual action of what would have been happening in the show. So we we have uh Liz and uh Liz and um yeah and, and Douglas sitting bedside. By, by but the only way to prevent a pre, uh we haven't said this, the only way to prevent the spread of this more is to boil her. Oh, and, and somebody and, says, what about steaming her? <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Like, no. Throwaway jar. Like, but... <sighs> she's going to lose her life. And and Sanchez loses his manhood. and But they, they do lie to her. Yeah, he loves you and you're going to be happy. You're going to have a long sleep. He would be here himself, but he's helping all the crippled children... There, and then she gets... when when in that part in particularly, I had a thought, and I kind of conflicted against myself and how I thought about it because I thought that there was a potential there for them to throw in a line or just for yet again for him to raise himself above the project, but I think it was actually probably smart to not do this. But in my in my head, I'm thinking like he could have had a line to say. Uh, Sanchez is, um, out taking care of some kids. Normally I would, but I've got to be here yeah. with you. But I think this is, this is his version of like, no. Yeah, I gotta be humble. I'm going give to be him, humble and I'm give him, him up, put yes. him on the pedestal. And then she, she re- kind of indicates something and Liz lifts up a dream catcher wind chime. He's like, what is it? Liz is like, it's a dream catcher. What's that? Like a wind chime. So why didn't you just say wind chime? <laughs> I'll give this to him. It's great and all this. <laughs> And he does, he loves love the wind. Shit, and the sound <laughs> and, of tinkling. And then she passes. And then what is it they cut? It's the, the, the she's the, all your boy. It, it, it's a it's a like a two Hype, shot yes. and then it, it cuts to wide and then you have two cooks at the end of the fucking <laughs> yes. bed and they just pull her <laughs> bed out. The cooks handle her. I had completely forgot about that, and I'm gonna say this for now. I think the funniest joke in the entire series, um, is about to come up because oh. I had completely forgotten about it. The I, final. I, I had I we I, we lied to you. I said that there were only two. No, there is a the third. Rule of three. The rule man. of three. Rule of three. The third kid. <laughs> you saved my life. Thank you. I'll let you say what he tells the mother. It's well, the only one that has a parent. Yes, and he makes basically a passing comment that he'll be all right. Just keep him off the fucking smack. Keep him off the smacker. That's what happened again. Because the kid does, he's got sunken eyes. I, I, we both we doubled. We laughed over three jokes. Cause he talked, he had like three or four more lines after that. We were cackling. I, I was like, you know, seeing stars because I was yes. losing oxygen <laughs> laughing. Off the smack. So I, it's really great. You only have neighbors on one side of your house and your TV's on the other. 
Because somebody would have bust over here and shot you long ago for us watching shit and laughing. Yeah, that's just the stuff that we record. Yeah, those all the all the horrible all horrible right. things we say off camera or off the microphone. Man, um, uh, okay. what do you give this episode? Ah, fuck! Like, I give this like a nine point two. Well, no, no, no. I'm gonna give this a nine. I'm gonna give this a nine. It's right in the middle. It's not up top. It's not at bottom. I'm still thinking now Skipper. Skipper's probably my least favorite. This is right in the middle. It's a nine. I think nine is a, a perfectly reasonable, uh. It made a childhood heroin joke. So. Yet again, doing, doing a lot of stuff that would be <laughs> controversial on any other show. Of the six episodes, what's your favorite? Just for, um, so we can declare. A Scotch Mist. Scotch Mist is still my favorite. It's not the funniest or the best, but it is my personal favorite. I still think that number one is going to be my favorite, yeah. but I, I got to be honest with you, like in terms of like when when we watched this, that last joke, it's it, so it, hard. man, I, that, we didn't that, even mention that he makes up like after he leaves the kids room, there's uh, Sanchez and he's like, I won't rest till I find you an acceptable replacement. He get, tries to give him the wind chimes, and that's when he's like, you keep it for saving life. And then as he's walking away, he stops a good half second yeah. before Sanchez says, stop. Thank you for that. Or thanks for that ride. Because we mentioned at the beginning, that's how the show ends. We just had to end it with a, you got to keep him off the smack. The, 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 no somber moments for me. That, chip, no. that kid <laughs> got off smack because of the the saintly Garth Marenghi as Dr. Yes. Rick. Douglas. Now, we normally do this at the beginning of the episode, but consider we were doing something a little different. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the critical ratings of these. What do you think the overall critical rating, just for the show, not individual episodes of Dark Place is? 8.2. 8.5 out of 10. Uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty damn good. For a, for, for general audiences, yeah. I think that's, that's fair. It's actually heavy. I could see a lot. I would think a lot more people wouldn't like it. I, I would, all the brints of the world. I would have it higher, but for Personally, general yes. purposes, I think that's pretty pretty spot on. All right, Rotten Tomatoes out of a hundred. What do you think? Sixty-seven, eighty-seven percent. Damn. And the audience score even higher, ninety-five percent. Damn. Google users, which we often hail as being the most, uh, probably the most on the money. Ninety-three, ninety-four. Heck yeah. But the one. To rule them all. Oh, yes. The Rant Army. I gave you two options in the Facebook group. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place good. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place bad. What do you think I our audience... it's 100%. It's 100%. It's 100%. I was very happy that about that. Travis didn't vote. I was... I, I'm <laughs> always... I'm always like... Who's going to upset the fucking apple cart? And usually it's that bitch titty-flipping Travis. Good job, Travis. So, I don't think he... Fuck you. I don't think he's ever seen this, nor did he vote. So he's not fucking cool enough to have seen this. He's too oh. busy being a cuck. And both both are true. Both are true. All right, jacking um, off to old eight, early eighties wrestling. Well, don't we all? No, I like late eighties wrestling. No. I'm just trying to piss you off. I don't care. I love the seventies and the eighties, and that's beside the point. So. Overall, if you had to give uh, a numeric value out of 10 to Dark Place, 
as a whole. Show personally, ten. It's a ten, man. It's uh, like I would. I mean, I know I've scored things under, but overall, in its concept, inception, and execution, it's a perfect ten as a comedy. I show. feel the exact same way because, like, if you were to tally my. Episode by episode, it's probably it, like a ninety-three or yeah, actually yeah. we did a couple eight, so like a eighty-nine to ninety if you t- average. Yeah, them. but no, it's mass it's, for mass for elite uh, yuppies. We're just doing it by the it's, cut. It's it's as perfect as something like this could ever Absolutely. be. Fucking lutely. This is this is a lightning. This is a great uh, idea executed perfect. Lightning in a jar kind of situation. Yes. So. We talked about this a little bit, but I, I want to unpack it just once for all. The comedy of Dark Place, obviously, I think there's elements of it that are probably universal, but because of the Britishness of it, that's going to take away. But then also the meta humor. There's a lot of different layers. Where do, Lulu. I don't know who. I'm sure that's a funny joke in England, but I don't get it. Exactly. So how much of that do you think probably is a negative to an I'd American audience. very little. It's little jokes like that, like Lulu. Like, I don't, I'm sure that's probably a funny joke in 2004 British pop culture. I have no fucking clue, but the, I don't what's that. funny. What's funny about it is that Lulu, like, is from a, probably a generation before. Oh, okay. So, so it's, again, it's pop culture that I'd, I'll never get because I wasn't raised with it, but I get in context the joke, so I don't need it. Well, I think we've adequately shown that we love yes. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And this was a nice Christmas present to both you and I. That being said, we're nearing the end of the year, and I think it's time for us to make some New Year's resolutions. Fat Tony, what do you got on the docket for 2024? My One of my resolutions, one of them, is to do way less cocaine at this year's Franken-Con. I spent all my money on cocaine at buying any good, uh, you know, souvenirs. Uh, spilled half of it in the pool. Being fucked up, but no, honestly, like I just I'm gonna try to make more time. We need to make more time to do more of these episodes. You need to start learning to say no to overtime. So I'm gonna. My resolution is to keep you from work. Well, it pay <laughs> it pays the bills sometimes, does. and and uh, sometimes it's all sometimes. Yes, it does. It. it does. But it's it's also nice to uh, not have to worry as much about you know financial issues and stuff. You always have your OnlyFans. Oh, and I, I do so yeah, well in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's all butt stuff. One hundred percent butt stuff. No front. You don't get none. It's, you don't get any of the beautiful generals. Uh, the champ at OnlyFans. <laughs> so there's somebody gonna have butt stuff, and they're gonna think it's your butt. Well, there you go. I mean, shit. Send me the money. Yes. Um Don't give it to them. We'll DM you news. I take him, but he's he's a heavy sleeper. I've got nudes of him. <laughs> that's, that's news to me. That's nudes to nudes me. to you. All right. My my resolution is that. As I see it, uh, 2024, I'm turning 40. My favorite movie of all time is turning 40. Um, I, we're in a, a pretty good position in the podcast. We're going to be doing FrankenCon again. Uh, we've been invited. I don't have the details worked out to maybe doing something with Nirvana Comics. Stay tuned with that. Um, so my New Year's resolution is 2024. I, we are going almost exclusively heavy hitters in terms of the content that we're going to be bringing you. Now, Sallow. Yes, yeah, Sallow. <laughs> That's a uh, watch along. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust, which we'll be doing nude with Vaseline. <laughs> um, 
No, no, no. We'll film that one. But I'll go ahead and tell yeah. you uh, what my plans are uh, for some of the bigger episodes. Uh, in February, we generally do a Nightmare on Elm Street. We didn't do one this year because of uh, scheduling issues, um, but it's the 40th anniversary of Nightmare on Elm Street. We're going to be covering that, um, and I'll tell you right now what uh, my plans are for our seven-year anniversary episode. And I think it's uh, we're going to take things the only one that matters and bring it back to episode one of this podcast to come full circle, and it's going to be an in-depth retrospective for 1984's greatest movie of all time, all time's greatest movie of all time, all time greatest movie, Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes, which you know he's he, you know it's incomplete because I wasn't there when he did it first. He didn't know how he was doing it when he started. Now he's a lean, mean podcasting machine. I did no research for that episode, and you'll get a lot if you listen to it. Just strictly, just shit me, dome. you know, verbal diarrhea. Imagine what I can do when I plan ahead. Yes, That's all I can the say. Piece of the southeast. Then I, I was just uh, the, a mouth that was open <laughs> yes. and a microphone I was in front of it. Yes, but uh, and then you know we always try and do something uh, Halloweeny for October. Um, fuck it, let's do the original Halloween. Hell yeah, it's time to do it. So they were right there. Those are three heavy He's hitters. Do that with Eddie, but I'm going to bust in through the window with a steel chair. Well, we'll see. I do would respect that because it's wrestling. We'll see. Uh-huh. We'll see what happens. Um, we'll, we'll, things will shake out. I mean, we always have you know trips, hazards here and there. But we're also going to have a, a fun episode, uh, another episode of Heavy Metal March Madness. Yes, I've already got my notes. I'm most scared of because. Oh, or go so ahead and much. tell you it's going to be for Ozzy Osbourne. Oh. Um, that's going to be fun. We've done Sabbath. Now we're going to do Ozzy Solo. There's a lot of heated I've debate. Seen we're Ozzy have. Solo 14 times. So to say I'm a, I'm a mega fan. Yeah, that would be an understatement. Yes, understatement of the year. So this is all going to be a lot of stuff that we like really care about, stuff we're passionate about. And um, we hope you're along for the ride. And if not, we're going to enjoy doing it yeah, regardless. Yeah, it's fun for us either way. 20, 24. Horizon, I can honestly say that we have some big stuff planned. It's going to be our biggest year ever, so that's that's our declaration to you right now. Till then, the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so go give us a subscription right now. Follow us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, go buy a t-shirt, a sticker, or a mug from our web or store. Or magazine. Well, that's not available on oh. rantarmy.com. Oh, we do have a magazine uh, available. You can uh, DM me on Facebook. Uh, find me. Uh, find the group. Uh, you can find information about it there if we have copies if left. Have copies it is left. it is sold just, very well. Yes. But we are going to do a second issue probably around April. So stay tuned for that as well. For Fat Tony, this is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next time, Rant Army. Keep marching. <laughs>